Supposedly their leading scorer, he hit the game winner Wednesday night at Davidson to win by one. Does it again! Does it again! When I am self-evaluating the sportscasters, when I am, uh, when something happens, like we're recognized by Sports Illustrated, for example. Okay. Right? And I think to myself, okay, what is it that we've done here? What is it we have? What is it we do that has got us here? Okay. And in the cockiest of those thoughts, I say, well, it's me. <laughs> that's, that's not even untrue, though. I did it. I'm... What's great about the sportscasters is is me. Right. I'm what's great about it. Okay. And uh, then, like, the next level down of cockiness is me and Don. We're what's great about it. Okay. Right? You know, me and Don have a chemistry that's formed from being – that we could never create with anyone else in our lives. That we just – it's just a lucky thing. We met – we know each other through all phases of our lives, and because of that, it makes – the it makes it work sure right and then when i go down another level okay so i'm going from cockiest reasons Mm -hmm. to least cockiest here when i take the next level down i say well we are able to book great interviews yes that or or maybe there might be an inverse uh graph as to how important it is to the (laughs) listener (laughs) it might be the exact opposite but it's a cocky scale here (laughs) right 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 so then Maybe the next level down from that is actually, well, I do good interviews. Sure. And I just say that getting them would be higher because it's harder. I think it's harder to get the interview than do the interview. Okay. You know, like I think it's harder to get Rich Eisen to do this than it is to make 20 minutes of good radio with Rich Eisen. Sure. Okay. So we're going from the podcast is great because of Steve. Podcast is great (laughs) because of Steve and Don. Podcast is great because we book good listeners. The podcast is good because we do good interviews. Okay. Right? And then as we get lower and lower and lower, you start – they're actually – it switches from a what's good about the podcast to what's bad about the podcast. Uh-oh. Okay? And when I get to the top thing of what is bad about the podcast, it's me. What's promoting the podcast. It's me. It's just – it's you're what's wrong. If you're what's right, you are you also have to be what's wrong. Okay. This is, this is very deep. And – I was thinking the other day that I know what the number one thing that is bad about me is. Okay. Is I don't believe that everything we've done has earned us the right to uh, to be what we might be. Like I'm still afraid of our own shadow in a way where when a guest is in, I might not go – the extra mile in questioning because I don't want them to think that I had, didn't deserve the right to ask that question. I can't remember who it was that I've heard say this at in an interview. Uh, it could be multiple people, but it's kind of like I think there's actors, actresses that maybe are on, a, maybe are have just reached a list type status that will say things like, 
I keep worrying that someone's going to figure out I'm a fraud. Like, right. That, that might be a good way to put it. Like, to me, if you go on the Howard Stern show, he's earned a right to ask a certain level of question. Okay. And I worry sometimes when guests are in that I haven't earned that right. That the, that the interviews, although they turn out great, they could have been better if I would have been maybe more aggressive at times. Okay. Well, even before that, I think I might have blown it this week. So one of the big stories this week, uh, we're going to talk about what we're going to do about stories in a second. But one of the big stories is that Dean Smith died. Yes. The famous basketball coach uh, from North Carolina. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan's coach. Uh, you know, what did he win? Three or four national championships there. and uh, A legend. Yep. So when I heard the news, the first thought was, okay. S.L. Price covered the 1983 basketball team that he won with. He covered that team. And he was – he's a Tar Heel, right? He went to North Carolina. He covered Dean, one of Dean Smith's national championship teams. Email him and say, would you like to share some stories about Dean Smith on the podcast? And I got the computer out, and I typed his email in, and I started to write, and I stopped. And I said, you can't send this email. You're going to fuck up everything you've built with S.L. Price. <laughs> this is going to be a turnoff to him. He doesn't want to hear from you right now. Right. You, who are you to send this email to him? Stop. Walk away. You don't, you don't need S.L. What, do what are you really going to get out of having... S.L. Price on the sportscasters to talk about North Carolina. So I walked away and I went to bed. I thought about more and I said, well, you know what we would get is I'd be able to tweet and then tell Sherman and tell this guy and people would know and people would come and they want to listen. And then I thought, that's just grimy. I just don't want to do it that way. I, I just I don't know. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think? So is your biggest thought? Your thought is more – you said grimy in that you you would think that you're using him to get clicks from other websites. Uh, or is it that you think he'll be very busy this week talking about that? I don't writing? think it said he's busy. Huh. I think that he is very much uh, – he's very much a uh, person who respects what we've done. Yeah. And I mean he keeps coming back. He keeps so. coming back and it's always great and he's always great. And we email – I always email everyone – after and say thank you and he always is one that will email back and say no thank you it's great whatever and i'm just afraid to ruin that 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 email is going to go out and he's going to say why would they bother me right now (laughs) but my my guess is that everyone who has a relationship with him in the media thought of him in that same way and probably reached out sure like i noticed on twitter Richard Deitch tweeted, as soon as SL Price pops back on Twitter, I hope he has some great stories or something like that, and tagged him in it. So that's And that's really where Deitch operates, right? That's his zone. Right. It's a victory for Deitch to get Price to talk about that on Twitter. To tweet that and then retweet him the things later, that's how he right. builds himself. For us, if we want it – see. I don't know. I, I just didn't feel right about it, and it's happened before. The one time I felt completely all right with it was with Jenkins and LeBron. 
I was like, bam, that's our boy. I'm emailing him. Right. I want him on because he's our boy, and I think we should be able to share in, in his success here. Plus, everyone – I mean, that was huge. That was the biggest That was the biggest story right. of that news cycle or whatever. Um, Do you think I held us back this week? Do you think this show is going to be less of what it could be because I didn't have the balls to email Mr. Price this week and say, will you come on and share your thoughts about I, Dean Smith? I think my thought – I mean, if you're, if you're worried about being grimy or uh, using him or in any way, I, I guess what I would say to that is like I, I would only think you're using him if you don't think you can get anything out of him. Like if you don't think he's got anything interesting to say about it, which would probably not be true. No, so, I know he has interesting things to say about it. And if you don't think he's too busy, uh, then I mean, he, there's definitely interest in it. I, I, I'm sure. So you don't think we're using him for clickbait in possibly a vulnerable time for him? See, I don't know his relationship. Well, yeah, that I guess I don't know. I don't understand. Like I don't fully know what his relationship was with Dean, with Dean Smith. Smith. Yeah, I mean, I know that in 1983. He was a student at North Carolina covering the Michael Jordan, Dean right. Smith team that won a national title there. I don't know where that went post. I couldn't get a real good feel on Twitter. So I he didn't tweet much. I think if it was if we've never had him on before, or he was only on, if he was rarely, rarely on, it'd be different for you to text for email him out of the blue. It's not like you're having him come on and you're going to hit him with questions. Like I don't know. I think an email is fine. Right. I think you've established a relationship with guys like him where you could email them and lay out your concerns. Like, look, I don't want you to think I'm just farming clicks by calling you. I'm just curious well, if you want to talk about this or not. And I know that one of the reasons we get respect is because we've never resulted to clickbait. We've never resulted is the wrong word. We've never went that route. And a lot of times, resorted. Right, resorted. Yeah. We've never went that way. We never looked to that. We never took advantage of the people who have came in. We never, we never did that, and I know that we've earned respect that way, because a lot of people in our position will use that strategy to try to grow. Sure, and it's maybe a quicker strategy. Well, yeah, we've always said in the past too, we could probably blast a guest or kind of corner a guest, but we know that would be the last time that guest would be on, and it might be tough to get any guests from that. Same, right, we've like, really very much protected our reputation. Because in our minds, we don't have anything besides that. Sure. And the most inflammatory thing anybody has ever – or any of our guests have ever said, they've kind of walked into themselves and they know it. It's not like we led them down a path where they're going to badmouth somebody else even though it And has, we've taken it stuff happened. out for guests too. Sure. Stuff that we we asked the question on the record and they gave an answer on the record and we only did it out of courtesy to take it out. It may have advantaged us to keep it in. Yeah, we just don't have that clout. That's where I think we'd fall short. Like we don't have the clout yet to hurt a guest if they asked us not to, and then not remove it. I mean, maybe that doesn't show much for our journalistic integrity. Like maybe if we were journalists, we should leave. But we're not journalists. We're not. I we don't, don't claim think, to be. I don't no. think either. And by the way, if uh, this talking shop part of the podcast bores you, you might want to skip ahead to the guests today because <laughs> we are in the middle. Or talk shop. Yeah, we're, sports calendar zone. It's the middle of the hockey season, the middle of the basketball season. There's no playoffs going on anywhere. No so Olympics yet. No Olympics. This uh, year. Football's over. No so March Madness yet. This is going to be a lot of this type of thing, and then we have guests. guests. Well, it's season five, episode five, February 11, 2015. 
Brian Curtis and Sean McIndoe were on the pod. Do Sean McIndoe were on the podcast <laughs> last week, and this week we have Jimmy Traina from Fox Sports. He's going to make a piece of sportscasters history today by being the person to establish the longest gap between his first and second appearance on the show. Yep. And uh, then we're going to have Jeff Perlman, author, uh, on the show as well. We're going to do a book club update, which is. Uh, different, and we'll close the show with uh, three things. We or, excuse me, with one last thing. We haven't yeah. had that in a while, by the way. I don't know if that picks up on the microphones or not until I listen to it later. But uh, that was a real old school thing about the podcast. Yeah, the podcast used to be in a different area where uh, cop cars were a little more <laughs> yeah. prominent. But uh, it felt like once a week we during recording we'd have a cop car go by, and one just went by. I don't know if it picked up or not. All right, let's do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. All righty, I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. First thing today is about three things. Yeah, more about us. What do we do with three things? Now the football's now over. Now the football's over. I know it would write itself. We would, for the last four months, basically, we would spend fifteen to twenty minutes talking about the week ahead, football, right. and then we would quickly rush through two other things. Sometimes two of the things would be football. Sometimes it would be right. like this one's on the field related, and this one's off the field related, and yeah. So what do we talk about now? Hey, there's thirty. There are 29 games left in the hockey season. I think the answer partly is you just very much have to sort of take it week by week. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? It's tough to sort of project long-term what we're going to do. But I think the nice thing about not having football there is it does offer us the opportunity to be uh, ourselves a bit more and to talk about things that we're interested in that don't necessarily fall within the scope of football a bit more. So I think we need to be mindful of the freedom that this creates and kind of take advantage of that a little bit. Yeah, that that could be that's going to be a totally different sounding. That will be a sports podcast where the guests are sports related and then everything else is not. Yeah, but you know what? We've always sort of done what's interested us. Sure. You know, if we want to talk about a book that's about television, we've yep. just done it. Sony, speaking of that, if we're just going to dive into things, agreed. I don't know what the exact terms were, but uh, the Marvel Universe is weird as far as it goes with movies. I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, Marvel owns things like the Avengers. But then there's Fox, which owns the X-Men, also Marvel. And Fox actually owns the word mutant. Like That's why in a clip at the end of, I think, Winter Soldier, they wouldn't use the word mutants to describe these two people. They call them something. I can't remember what. But uh, And then Sony owns Spider-Man. Well... I guess Sony and Marvel came to some sort of agreement where now Spider-Man can cross over into the Marvel universe. I think I sort of heard about this, and weren't people sort of like humorously throwing their hat in the ring to be said Spider-Man? Maybe, because they already kind of, I mean, I don't know how many deals the kid has. I like the first, whatever, newest run of The Amazing Spider-Man. I didn't see the second, so I, the kid was fine to me. But uh, they already kind of had said, like, behind closed doors. It's not him, right? It's not going to be him right. when this when they start rolling out movies as Sony and Marvel, however that works out. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're out there, there's there's probably no better gig than a super 
superhero movie right sure now. Sure worked out for the first, you know, we could go through, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. killed it with Iron oh, Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tobey Maguire killed it with... Spider-Man Before. Spider-Man Before. Right. And the Batmans, have, you know, yep. all pretty much worked out. Who's your favorite Batman? It's probably Christian Bale. Yeah. Uh, the only one that comes Second would be Michael Keaton. Keaton. Yeah. Yeah. But it's probably Christian Bale. And the worst we've all sort of established was Clooney. Is it just because that was the worst movie, maybe? Yes to both, yeah. probably. Yeah. yeah. All right. Second thing today I wanted to talk about real quick. The NBA All-Star Game is in New York City this weekend. It's at MSG, and everyone is... You know, in New York, Jay-Z is going to have a concert there or something. You know, things are going on there. But sure. I wanted to ask you, Don, uh, at the break, who has the best record in the Eastern and Western <laughs> Conference of the NBA? Oh, man. Uh, boy. There is a team. It's in someone the- strange, right? I would say both are strange. One team in the West is 41-9. and nine. Is it like Milwaukee or somebody? Uh, no, Milwaukee actually is in the East for one, and they're twenty nine and twenty three. Okay, so that that's the wrong direction there. The Eastern leader is forty three and ten, and they're the really bizarre one, right? Like, yes. Oh, I can't remember who that is. It's the Atlanta Hawks. There it is. Yes, the ex Buffalo Braves. And if they were to make it to the finals and play the number one team in the West. It would be a matchup of Atlanta and Golden State. Golden State. That's the one I was thinking of, I think. So, yeah, Stephen Curry and Golden State. Oh, that's right, because I just heard that uh, Stephen Kerr, if you go. Curry. Oh, Kerr. Wait, who is. Doesn't Steve Kerr, the ex player, doesn't he coach a team? Yes. What What does he coach? Or who does he coach? Sorry, I'm asking questions. You know, have queued up. That's probably some sort of <laughs> broadcasting no no. But, uh,. They were talking about winningest and what that meant. Like, do you just go by number of wins or win percentage? Right. And he would yeah, actually... no, Kerr coaches Golden State. So okay, you have that Kerr right. does coach Golden State. Right. And Curry is the star of Golden State. Like, if Kerr were to retire right now, like, he has, he's the most, has the best winning percentage in coaching history. Like, granted, he's only coached 50 games, so he probably doesn't <laughs> qualify. But, uh, yeah, so I... Exactly I, 50 games. Yep. What place do you think Cleveland's in? Uh, what makes the playoffs? Same as hockey, right? Eight, Eight yeah. I'd say, like, fifth. Exactly fifth. Yeah, I know they're not doing nearly as well as you would you would expect. Uh, what place do you think the Lakers are in? Dead last? Second to last. Second last. What about San Antonio, the defending champs? Ooh, they got to be good still, right? Let's say fourth. Seventh. Seventh. But here's what's really interesting. Is so real top-heavy in the West again? Yeah, they're 31-19 yeah. and 19 for seventh. That would put them in sixth, but like one game out of third. Okay. In the East. So, who do you think the leading scorer? It's got to be someone I've never heard of before. <laughs> what team does he play for? <laughs> well, I should, you shouldn't even say that because then I'll be embarrassed that I don't know who he is after you tell me who he plays for. Um. Basketball players get moved around so much too. So for me to all right, how about this? What star of the NBA recently uh, had surgery, removing a what? How did they put it? Uh, uh, staph infection from his elbow. Staph infection. I have no idea. Blake Griffin. Oh, okay. He's on the Clippers still, right? Yeah. Okay. 
So this is the NBA break for the sportscasters <laughs> today. <laughs> if anyone had, we were talking about talking uh, about more pop culture things. Yeah, well, that could be whatever. number three. We both watched the Grammys. Sure, but I'm, yeah. my, my thought was if anyone ever wants – like just to write something in, hey, discuss your feelings on this. Like during these, uh, what would you call these days? The, the middle, lulls. The lulls. Yeah, the low the days here that uh, are going to be a little bit slower. I'm super excited about the hockey season, but that's only because we want our team to lose almost, all the rest of the yes, games. Yes, and it's almost over. Like this losing stuff is almost over. But uh, we both watched at least a little bit of the Grammys. Yeah, I watched a good chunk of it. I actually recorded it. Like I was going to go back and watch it, and then I realized. I watch it, and I said something on Facebook to the effect of, like, I feel culturally obligated to watch it, but to me it's more like I don't watch it because I get excited to watch it. I watch it because I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. Like, Hold on. Everyone's talking about Two things about the NBA before I move totally on because I don't want emails. Okay. James Harden leads the league in scoring. Okay, I have heard of him. 27.5 points a game. He's got a beard, right? Yep, just yep. above LeBron. And I know that... It's Stephen Curry. It's spelled like Stephen. And oh, Stephen Curry. Is okay. really that does sound more familiar. Cute about it. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm sorry I called him. It's probably his parents. Stephen instead of Stephen, despite the fact that it's spelled, spelled like exactly Stephen. that way. But right. I know his name is Stephen, and he's very, very <laughs> fun to watch. Uh, but anyway, yeah, back to the Grammys. So uh, why is Kanye West such an asshole? I have no idea. I saw a tweet from somebody... That said something to the effect of when you marry Kim Kardashian, you lose the right to uh, make comments on artistic integrity. He sort of backpedaled a little bit, I guess. And he's now saying he wasn't saying Beck isn't an artist. He was blaming the Grammys. Sure. Or something. But it sure sounded like he was calling out Beck and saying he should give the award to yeah. Beyonce. Well, I mean, he was... Dead wrong about Taylor Swift. I mean, I'm not going to speak to what, whether Taylor should have won over Beyonce, but Taylor Swift's like the most popular singer on the planet right now, right? So, uh, It's so weird that Taylor Swift was on pretty early in the show. I think she might have given out the first award or the second. Okay, I did see her. Yeah, and I said to the first lady, I said, isn't it funny that her career basically started with Kanye West interrupting her. For yeah, this poor girl. Yeah. Kanye, and now yeah. she's one of the biggest stars in the world. And then later that night, he would, I uh, guess, strike again. But I don't know. What is it he does? What does he do? I guess he makes albums. I mean, I don't listen to them, but people do. Right. And I know... And apparently clothes and fashion. He dressed Kim Kardashian like Ric Flair that night. Did you hear about after the Grammys? He was like weirdly berating the E reporters. Yeah. Like e, the network he that has them, made his wife famous. He wanted them to take, take their, their mic flags, flags off. off. Yeah. Because, like, he wanted people to see their clothes. And He's a maniac. Yeah, he's lost his mind. He's clearly gone crazy. Now, I watched, and I was like, oh, cool. Uh, ACDC, I know them. I'm not a huge fan, but I respect yeah, not a big fan, but what they've done. Sure. And, uh, the first song's like, all right, well, they're going to try to sell the album, mm-hmm. which, whatever. The only people who are going to buy it, we're going to buy it anyway. I don't think they sold very many albums that night. Maybe Because they played that song. I think, you know, people who wanted that album have bought it or will buy it when it comes out, whatever the case is. Right. And then they played a pretty slowed down version of Highway to Hell, which was really interesting because Artie Lang had spent like an hour and a half on his podcast, <laughs> like the day before, talking about the first line of the song, which in the liner notes claims that he says the word ticket. When he clearly says the word 
Well, the N-word, I guess we'll say. We don't have the cred that Artie Lang uh, does to explain it the way he did. Really? I it, never caught that. Before. Yeah, here. I'll, oh, you have the your computer plugged in. So you can pull up. For those who don't listen, just look up Highway to Hell. And it's the first line. And... Um, yeah, Artie Lang very <laughs> went over this. Him and his, you know, his buddies that do his podcast talked about this uh, for a long time, and then there they are playing it, but a really slow version of it. But uh, you can bring down the three things music. Am I probably. looking for the regular Highway to Hell, like the yeah. studio version? Oh, yeah. Okay. So turn three things off. Here, listen. Yeah, I never... It's supposedly season ticket. ticket. Yeah, and a one-way ride. Yeah. But they're thinking he says seasoned N word? She's a N. Oh! On a one-way ride. Wow. I never caught that before. Now, granted, I always thought ACDC was like corny arena rock, so I never really got listened to their lyrics all that hard. Uh I kind of lump Kiss into the same category, even though I've heard people tell me I shouldn't. Like they're they're better than that, but not really. No, <laughs> ACDC I think has better music than Kiss, but yeah, I think it's a fair comparison. Yeah, comparison. Yeah. So I. What about this show? What do we need to talk about about the Grammys? What? What? You know what? I turned it on when uh, I watched the first hour, and then I watched Total Divas. What's the band name? Ho- Hozier. Something yeah, like I that. guess they sing that song "Take Me to Church" or whatever yeah. it's called. I think it's a cool song, super catchy. It's on every. It seems like it's one of them crossover things. It's like on soft rock channels and hard rock channels. Uh, and I saw him singing, and then Annie Lennox came out. I thought she did a great job. She was job. great, yeah. So I thought, okay, cool. Like they're kind of these weird combinations. But I thought all almost all the other combinations I thought were n- terrible. I thought the Paul McCartney, Rihanna, Kanye trio was horrible. Uh, Paul McCartney looked almost con- like he looked like an out of like a crazy old man that like had wandered onto the wrong stage or something like that. And I don't get Rihanna. I think she's totally untalented. And uh, I like that Diamond song. Oh, okay. I know what song you're talking about. I just I think that's by her. Yes, I could be wrong. But... I, I think you're right. But uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan of Rihanna's. Uh, so I I didn't enjoy that. I I found myself. Forgetting that there was a host, it was a weird award show. It was LL Cool J, yeah. who kept talking. Like every time he'd come on, he'd have some like motivational speech for us. The whole the whole award show was really serious, like in somber almost. Like the whole last fifteen minutes were like gospel songs about like Martin Luther King. And, oh, I was long gone by then. Uh, the president came on to talk about how it's not okay to hit your wife or yeah, what, what, why or rape any. Look, I think those are great messages. Um, I think those stats are scary. Uh, they said something like one out of every four or something women will be the victim of a sexual assault or rape or something like that. That stuff's all really scary and it's important. I don't know what the point is. Uh, Bill Burr made a rant about this as far as like billboards about domestic violence. No, he was talking about the football commercials. The football right? commercials. He's like some guy who's thinking about hitting his wife is going to see this commercial and like, change his mind. Change his mind. Like I, I don't understand. I think it's more for the victims, maybe like an, a chance to 
Right. And if, oh, I can step out. I don't need to hide in the shadows or something. If that's what it's for, uh, I know they did this with bullying and stuff like that. If you've been a victim, like, right. don't be afraid. Because I know that rape is one that, for whatever reason, goes totally underreported. So if there's victims out there that got that message from this, uh, then great. But I just thought it was a weird venue for it. Well, if you don't have anything else to add, I'll say I always boil the Grammys down to one thing. I don't know what it means. I don't <laughs> think it means anything. Yeah, speaking of Pearl Jam, they won the Best Packaging Award. Best yeah. Album Packaging. Yeah, Anthony sent me a text message. He's like, do you think it's a slap in the face to them? I said, no, because they care about art. So they're probably excited. To right. Me. And yeah. they had a guy that, like accepted that award and he seemed real excited yeah, yeah. i mean that's what he does so yeah. yeah they do care about that with backspacer they had uh tom tomorrow and this yeah. guy i mean they do cool conceptual stuff yeah so. they care about that sure all right it's as far as award shows go like of the big like the grammys it's the, the Oscars, worst this is probably the worst one. by far yeah because strangely they're the one that most goes to what's popular yeah it, my point before we started talking about LL Cool J is like it was the weirdest awards show, and that the awards felt totally secondary. It was all about like getting these weird musical acts, like mashups together, and uh, yeah, like I said, it's like a cultural fear. Like if I don't listen, I'm gonna mi- or watch, I'm gonna miss something. But I'd really rather would have not watched and probably just watched The Walking Dead an hour earlier. All right, well I think we have uh, managed to. Clumsily bounce our way through the first <laughs> footballist three things. We had a good intro there, so let's quit while we're only behind by a couple. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're going to take a break and come back with uh, Jimmy Trainer. Our next guest is from Long Island, New York, and is a graduate of CW Post University. His work for the Associated Press, Scorephone, and Sports Illustrated. But today he's a writer for Fox Sports Daily, blogging about their Big Buzz feature. He's making his second appearance on the podcast today. A Warren Sportscaster's welcome to Jimmy Traina. What's going on, Jimmy? That's a great intro. I mean, that that goes back to like wow, CW Post days, my my days at the Associated Press. That's that is that is uh, jarring to hear. That's for sure. So okay, so this would be good because I can uh, I can tell you this right off the bat. You know who hates our intros? Who's that? Deitch. Well. I mean, does he really hate them, or was he doing his whole like shtick to be funny? Well, that's what I—that—that's exactly what I'm wondering. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's to the point now when he's nice enough to come on, I'm allowed to play his fight song, and then when I fade it, I just say, "Thanks to Richard Deitch for being on the show again." So, Richard, first question, you know, like right like that, just just Sounds so that I can right. get him on my side, because otherwise, if I say anything more, then right away he gets to put me back on my heels, and it takes me a while to catch up. So, you know, you got to try well, to stay on the front side of that for as long as you can. Yeah, I mean, that that's sort of, that's the case with anyone. True, true. So, <laughs> so I was telling, I was uh, talking in the uh, before we got on about how this is actually the longest gap I think we've ever had uh, between guests. Usually, when I get to the three-year range and someone's been on, I'm pretty much assuming that they're never going to come on again, but... I don't think that was ever the case uh, with you. I don't think you had a bad experience or anything last time. I think I actually remember hanging up and thinking, wow, like we almost 
live the same childhood and, and really enjoy the same things. And uh, one thing I really wanted to talk to you about today, um, I thought to email you because you got a really cool shout out on Sternthology. I mentioned that in the email. Uh, you had requested mm-hmm. something. And I wanted to ask you about yeah. Stern a little bit because we talk a lot about about radio on here when we get the chance. And I want to tell you what I'm not. I'm not someone who has been posting on Stern Fan Network since Jackie left about how much I hate the show. That's not right. me at all. I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan who listens uh, to Howard 100 or Howard 101 every single day. But I will admit that... I'm wondering for the first time a few things. One, if the show uh, is changing uh, into something I don't like as much as I used to. Um, Mm -hmm. Or if maybe uh, Howard is for the first time in a place where he's maybe sort of playing out the string here. Um, Or uh, what it is, because it just seems like that if he gets a guest in there and they do an hour interview, it's the best hour of radio you're going to hear that week. He's right. the undisputed best interviewer on the planet right now. But it just seems like other than that, the show has gotten really, really thin. Maybe uh, to put a landmarker on it right around the time that Eric died, maybe. Uh, maybe a little bit before that. But it just feels just really thin. And I, I don't know. What, what do you think? What are your thoughts on the Howard Stern show and where it is with about – 10 months left on the, the, the contract. Well, I mean, it's a very, uh, I think it's a very interesting topic. And I think those are very, you know, valid and, and interesting criticisms that you brought up. Um, you know, I, I know there are a lot of Stern fans out there who complain about the show these days. Um, I don't know. I'm sort of, I'm sort. I sort of. My thing with Howard is that it's sort of like a blind faith thing. Whatever he does is fine with me. I mean, I know people are irate that he's only on three days a week. Yeah, I'd love for him to be on five days a week as well. But I still, for me, the three days he's on is going to be better than anything I'm going to experience from an entertainment standpoint that whole week. That's how I look at it. Right, I agree um, with that. I think there. You know, I think there's a lot of issues. I mean. He's 61 years old. I think that, I think, is the number one issue. Um, I think, you know, in, the, in this ever-changing sort of media world with Twitter and, and Instagram and podcasts and things moving so quickly, I think, you know, when you're 61, you know, sometimes those things may be moving faster than you can sort of deal with them. Um, you know, I would love to see him sort of integrate social media more into the show. It's not something he wants to do. Um, to your point, it's funny you should say that because I have a, a good friend of mine is a big Howard guy. And he actually has said to me the same thing you said about the show being a little different since Eric, uh, the actor passed away. And, uh, maybe there's like a lot, you know, there's so many interesting things about the show. I'm rambling on, but like also, he never filled the Artie chair after Artie left. Right. Um, yeah. It was one of those things. I, I've always, this is what I've always said about the show. Like you said, you know, his interviews are are the best interviews you're going to get, and it doesn't matter who the guest is. 
if he gets one of those, any celebrity, he gets them in there for an hour, hour and a half, the interview's going to be good. Um, the interesting thing to me is, what's always been my favorite part of the show, the reason why I think he's a genius, what I love the most, is when he's just there bantering about uh, current events and sort of, you know, everyday life stuff with Robin and Fred and Gary. And I do think they're missing someone in the mix there, you know, after Artie left. Right. You know, I always, um, I always look at the... And I don't... No, go ahead. Finish I don't up, know man. why they didn't... I don't know why they didn't fill that spot. I, you know, if it's a money thing, a budget thing. I, you know, I don't know. It's a, it, they were quick to... When Jackie left, they were quick to, to fill in some spots. When Stuttering John left, they were quick to fill that. Right. But already left, and they never filled it in. And I think maybe that's sort of where they're lacking a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's a theme with the channels in general. I, I was listening to... Uh, some, maybe my favorite thing right now is the tapes and the stuff that the tapes team puts on the air. Um, yep, I, you absolutely. Know, because the show is over by Wednesday at 10 o'clock for five days. Um, and, yep. you know, I, so I almost don't even turn on Howard 100 that much. I'm almost always on 101. But I was listening to something uh, from uh, the uh, epic uh, battle between Tracy and uh, when she brought the Hello? interns to the bar. Yeah, I'm here. Are you there? Yeah. No, 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 I said Tracy and Grillo. Yeah, yeah, Tracy and Grillo, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I yeah. thought you said hello. Uh, yeah, Tracy yeah. and Grillo. And uh, so I Googled Tracy. Um, right. And I got to a page on the Stern Fan Network that had a picture of the team that started at Sirius. Right, and they're all gone, basically. And kind of what it is now, and it's a yeah. shell. You know, uh, yeah. there's, you know, they just, the Lieberman show is, is the recent acts. You know, there's no, yeah. uh, there's no intern show. There's no, uh, it's very, very, very thin. It's like there's the Howard show. There's Sternthology. I think Riley still does a show. I've never really listened to it much. Um, but yeah. that's still there. Uh, there's some other things that come up, but everything is so thin. And I think it, it, it reflects on the show. And there's so many breaks all of a sudden on the show. Like they're constantly right. going to break all of a sudden. The wrap up show, um, I don't know. It's so incredibly short. I I don't know why. Uh, that's full of breaks. Just everything just seems filled out, and it it just feels to me like maybe uh, the number one thing that's kind of flowing with Howard right now is the interviews, and everything else is just kind of getting to the next one. And um, I don't know. It's the first time I ever felt like maybe he won't renew. Like if you would ask me the day after the birthday show. Uh, if I right. thought there'd be five more years, I'd say absolutely. And now, if you ask me today, I'd say I, I don't know, maybe not. Uh, listen, I I I definitely think he will do something. I will he will he stay it serious? I I don't know that. I do think what you said is is spot on. I I just get the impression as a listener that. I think there's a lot of stuff probably with Sirius that uh, all those changes you mentioned, I don't know. I don't know if he's responsible for that or if Sirius is responsible. It could be that, you know, Howard's like, listen, I'm 61 years old. I really don't want to be dealing with the intern show and, and, um, you know, John Lieberman and having my, you know, it's time for me to slow down. I'm just going to focus on, you know, my three days a week and, you know, for the four or five hours I do, and that's going to be it. I don't know if that's him or I don't know if it's, you know, serious saying we're not, 
going to put any money into a budget for these things. People only want Howard Stern. So without knowing that, it's hard to, you know, sort of know who to place the blame with on that. Right. Um, well, I but, think, you know, no, I was just going to say, he, only... I don't think he's going to go back to terrestrial radio. So I, I think if he does not go back to terrestrial radio, the biggest audience for him will still be Serious. on right. Sirius. So I think that's what Sirius has going for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that the problem with, uh, with, uh, the problem with all that stuff going away isn't so much that it's not there anymore, but it reflects back to the main show and that we all love the show being about the show. And those things provided a ton of feeder into that. Right. You know, absolutely. And, uh, I, I think, do you ever, uh, I know that you, um, you know, that you're a big Francesa guy. I know you're there. Do you ever listen to what's left of the Opie and Anthony show? No, I've never listened to Opie. I've never listened to them ever. Yeah, see, I was Excellent. the same way. I used to always tell people, Opie got a start in radio. One of his starts in radio was in Buffalo. So he's always had a strong sort of following here because, mm-hmm. you know, the area is sort of like sort of um, associated with him in some way. And I used to always say, right. why would I listen to that? I already listened to... The Howard Stern. I always I already listened to what that show wants to be. There's no reason to go to that, and uh, that was true for years and years and years. And then maybe in the last uh, around, probably when Howard went down to three days, I needed some. I was in the hospital for like 54 days one time. Oh and man! I, yeah, yeah, it was a bummer, and I was bored. Sorry, yeah. No, it's all right. Right. I was just bored <laughs> there. So I was like, I need to find something. I've already been listening for 20 straight hours to Howard 100 and Howard 101. There's going to be nothing new right. on there until Monday. And I sort of ventured over to that just to see what I might find. And, uh, you know, it's you don't listen, so we can't get too far into it. But it's just interesting how that show has dealt with change, uh, with right. using Anthony and him going uh, his way to podcast. And now Artie joining that. Have you listened to Artie's podcast at all? Um, I, I've heard segments and, and, and sort of things here and there, but I can't say I've ever really it's, listened to a whole podcast or listened to it on a regular basis. I've, I've heard a couple of clips, which is basically the best way I would put it. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a really good... Uh, you know, it's the right thing. He doesn't try to go too I, long. I've never listened to Opie Anthony, so I'm curious about what you think, because just from a radio standpoint. So, well, here's what they're from doing. Your perspe- yeah, from ahead. your perspective, do you, is the sh- tell me, like, uh, with with them losing one of the hosts, the, the, one of them got fired, right? Right, yeah, Anthony got fired for basically stuff. nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's your opinion of the show with that change? Like, you like it more or less, same, different? Well, it's very different, and I think what they did is... Uh, I think they woke a giant a little bit in Opie because I think Opie was very much coming in, collecting his check, and leaving. You know, they have a very strong third mic in Jim Norton or, you know, when Mm -hmm. it was a three. And Opie and Jim would just sort of dominate. They would be in charge of the comedy, and Opie would kind of just steer the ship. You know, okay, this caller, this caller, we're bringing in this guy. So he was very dormant for that time that I was watching. And then when Anthony left... Opie was kind of forced to wake up a bit, and they've changed the show. It's they don't do the things that the Open Anthony show did anymore. Uh, they're relying on comedians. They bring a lot of third comedians in. You know, Jim Florentine's on a lot, who I love. Uh, Dan Soder, uh, you know, com- stand-up giants. You know, 
even Louis C.K. will be third mic on the show every once in a while. Right. You know, and right. they do a great job of uh, having a really entertaining show with very few breaks. Now, they don't have uh, – the show being about the show is really good there right now. Uh, they integrate the staff that they have really well. They talk about current events in a really interesting and smart and funny way, the way they use comedians. You know, but the interviews are still terrible. They're very much B-list compared to what Howard gets. You know, they right. don't, they don't work as hard in terms of preparation, although they are getting better at that. But um, they've done a good job, I think, post-Anthony in just sort of finding what the show could be about now. You know, uh, sort of all these shows, they reinvent themselves all the time. And that's why I said from the top. I haven't felt this way about Howard, you know, since like Jackie left or something. I've always just sort right. of evolved and moved with the show because these shows change all the time. This is the first time, like I said, since around Eric died that I've just sort of – and I'm not by any means um, hating on the show. I'm just um, right. no, no, listen, more you know, wondering and concerned about it, you know? No, it's, I, I think it's a very legitimate criticism. I just – but, you know, it's all individual preference. Like, you've mentioned a couple of times the um, the breaks. Yeah. I don't mind the breaks because I'm listening as I'm working. So a break for me actually helps me get through some work while I'm listening. So it's all, um, you know, how you sort of look at it. I like, I like I said, to me, like, I know on his worst day, his worst show is going to be better than anything I experienced that day. That, that sort of, just for the news alone, just for the news alone. Um, so, you know, it's so it's hard for me. I mean, yeah, I, I think they, I would love to see him interact more with Fred and Gary and Robin. I'd love to see even more talk of current events. I mean, I have my sort of, you know, things I, I, I'd like to see him do differently too. Um, and yeah, I, I agree that there was a lot of great stuff going on sort of at both channels that had faded away. And, and like you said, a lot of characters, but, um, you know, Tim Sabian, I know that moved around, but he was a the guy they had on and, and provided some stuff. This is one thing with Howard is, is people sort of disappear and he doesn't give you an explanation. I mean, for a while there, he had that um, black job, um, Debbie the pet lady on every day, screaming like a lunatic, and then she sort of, sort of disappears. Right. Um, Alice is like that. Yeah, people come and go from the show. And, and even even... And even celebrities. I mean, Gilbert Gottfried was always on. He's yep. never on anymore. And so, you know, I, you know, like I said, I, you know, I wonder how much of it is age and, and just, you know, he's at a point in his life where, um, you know, he, he's just going to go in there and do his four hours. And I, I still think he puts in a lot of effort. And I still think they try to do some good stuff. I do think, too, after the birthday show, I thought, you know, he was sort of, um, I thought there'd be a lot of sort of big things, but. You, I, you know, you just don't know how much of it is him and how much of it is serious. Yeah, no, it, it's hard for us to speculate. And, um, you know, I mean, we're talking about the king of all media here, uh, you know, on a podcast. And I, I recognize that. You know what I mean? It, it's very yeah. easily easy for us to sit here and say uh, Howard should do this or Howard should do that. Um, I just thought it was interesting because we're both huge fans. And, um, yeah. And, you know, I was just curious to see where you kind of stood with the show and, and, and curious, you know, what else you listened to. Um, yeah, I mean, I really just listened to him in the morning and then I listened to Francesca in the afternoon and a little bit every now and then of, of Chris Russo on Sirius. Um, but I, just to complete one thing on Howard I did, that you had said that I, I want to sort of piggyback on is um, 
you know, if you are a longtime fan of the show, if you've come to if, if you've been listening for more than you know a couple of years, I will say as much. I mean, I love what he does when it's a live show Monday through Wednesday from from that from seven to eleven. Now it would be with the chime chain, but if you've if you've listened to him for a while, what he the, the Stentology, um Amazing. On 101, yeah. from like 5 in the afternoon to 8 at night or whenever. I mean, that's sort of like my, that's sort of, that's almost, you say, what do you listen to? It's funny. I listen to him in the morning. I listen to Francesca in the afternoon. And then maybe like around 6 o'clock if I'm, you know, going out to dinner and I'm in the car or I'm making dinner or, you know, whatever. Then it's 101 because the stuff they play on there is is the all-time stuff. I was actually listening to it this morning. Um, I don't know if it was 100 or 101, but... They they played a, a big big chunk of the show when he was running for governor in 1994. Yeah, yeah. And Fred the Elephant Boy gets on stage at the announcement and he's saying all this crazy stuff. And Howard is screaming at Gary to get Fred the Elephant Boy off the stage. I mean, if you are a Howard fan in any way, shape, or form, I cannot recommend Stuntology enough. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's amazing, and that's why sometimes I love. You know, people were so mad this week when they found out he was off because it just. I don't think people seen it coming, you know, because it's just some random week he decided to take off. But because yeah, President's Day is Monday, I would have expected him to be off next week. But right, and probably I don't next know week now if he's going to be off all this week and then Monday, or if he's off for two weeks, which would really be a problem. Right, but the nice thing about it is, is we get really great programming on 100 when he's not out. We get a lot of tape stuff. I think they're calling yep. it Mammary Lane or whatever it's called specifically yep. right now, and there's such great stuff on there. You know, today they play. They also played the Baba Booey origin. Uh, if people haven't heard that and uh, you know some really great stuff but look at I'm always going to be the number you know a guy who says you know this is the greatest who's ever done it and as long as he's doing it what he does is going to be you know a great stuff I, I just uh, well last thing and then we're you know it's already been 20 minutes so I don't keep you too long I just touch on a couple other things real quick but last thing sure. um, about about Howard uh, what do you think? Uh, what is your feel for for uh, December and, and where the show uh, might be headed past this contract? You know, it, it's, it's a great question, and and not to sort of just keep going to the same line over and over. But you know, I I wish I knew a little bit more inside stuff about his relationship with Sirius. If Sirius is, is responsible for a lot of the changes that have taken place, then yeah, maybe he could be. I mean, listen. At the end of the day, I, I I think he'll stay with Sirius only because I'm not sure where else he could go. And I know there's all these new things, Netflix, iTunes, and Star. He could start a company, but I think there is a sort of uh, what's the word? There's sort of a a uh, there's some cachet with staying at Sirius. You know, if he if he's doing a podcast or if he's doing something on Netflix or an audio streaming thing. Uh, iTunes. I mean, is he going to get Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock and Louis C.K. and Gwyneth Paltrow and right. these steps he's had? I mean, maybe. I wouldn't put it past him. If anyone can, he can. Um, but I do think he'll probably stay serious because of the freedom that they've given him with, you know, no government sort of overlord watching him and and I don't know, maybe it's contract time so maybe he can sort of bang them for, you know, I need this, I need that, I need this. Um, so if I was a betting man, I would say he stays it serious. Yeah, I think uh, you know Opie just went through this. You know when Anthony was was fired was August and their contract was expiring in October, 
And, mm-hmm. you know, he renewed, I think, basically because unless you want to reinvent a medium, so to speak, there's right. really nowhere out. These guys are never going back to terrestrial radio. And like you said, right. Howard Stern being 61, I don't know. You know, one thing they played yesterday was the test show uh, from. Uh, right, right. You know, and I don't I can't see him putting that kind of energy again into re- reinventing. Uh, a medium. Excellent point. You know, so I couldn't agree more. So I think that's what's gonna. I think in the end, if he wants to do this, and we, I think we both get the impression he still does in some level, and you know, he has Sirius offering him, you know, twenty-ish million dollars for a hundred days of work or whatever. Right. I, I would, uh, I would expect him to do that. Uh, I said one last thing. I couldn't agree more. And and one other thing that one other thing that sort of disappeared. uh, Another one of the things we talked about, which could play into his contract and where he resigned. Another thing that completely disappeared off the radar, which was a huge part of the show, was TV. TV. Yep, TV. I, yep, absolutely. So who knows? I mean, you know, I mean... And when it disappeared... Maybe HBO puts him on HBO. I mean, here's the thing. I think that there's so much more opportunity. He, why isn't that show simulcast on TV from 6 to 10 on the cable channel? Now, obviously, serious Content, people right. want them to subscribe to serious, but... You know, to me, that's an avenue that I know he he was on E for a hundred years. Then they had the Howard TV, and it just went went away. And there hasn't been much discussion about that. So I don't know. You know, does TV now play a role in his contract negotiations and what he's going to do? Another, you know, and then it could go back to what you said. He's sixty one years old. Does he really want to, you know, do all this stuff for TV? Who knows? It's it's hard to it's really hard to to predict. Yeah, and, and that's one thing it would be great to have a window into because when Howard TV originally went away, he kept saying for a while, Howard TV is gone, but there will be a video element. you right. know. And it, there was some talk that it would be like some kind of Netflix uh, subscription right. or – you know, right. and then that talk just kind of died down. And uh, right. yeah, so that, you know, as, uh, as much I – think I think there's a ton of things going on behind the scenes that nobody knows about. Absolutely. And they do have – you know the greatest producer of radio in the world too. And I know he, he is a, a broad of jokes, uh, which are hilarious right. and we've all laughed at, but I mean, Gary is unbelievable at what he does. Yeah, absolutely. And it all comes down to Howard. I mean, he, he's the one negotiating everything and, and whether there's going to be a TV element to it, what time the show's going to start, that's all him. So, yep. And no one really sort of can figure out what he's going to do. So I, you know, it's February tenth. We have a long way to go with a lot of speculation before we get to, to December to find out what happens. The sportscaster here with Jimmy Traina from Fox Sports. He's at Jimmy Traina on Twitter. Uh, great Twitter feed there. Uh, you do the. You went from doing the. Um, uh, you're gonna have to help me with what the name of it was at Sports. Sure, I, I did hot clicks at hot SI. Clicks, and hot now clicks. And now you're doing, doing the big, the big buzz. buzz at Fox. Yeah. Uh, basically, your job didn't change. Tell me about how your job changed uh, going from SI it, to Fox. It, the biggest change is that um, when I was at SI doing hot clicks, I did it twice a day. I did it a morning edition and an afternoon edition. And at Fox, I just do the big buzz in the morning, and there is no afternoon edition, just once a day. And after I, I post the big buzz in the morning, then I basically – spend the rest of the day doing shorter blog posts instead of the sort of compilation roundup thing. Gotcha. That's the major change. Yeah. 
what intrigued you about Fox? Like, just for example, like, you know, Stuart Mandel, who was with you at SI and moved there. When I talked to him about this, he was like, well, you know, it's really TV opportunities and other things like that. Right. Was there something at Fox yeah. that offered a broader spectrum for you than SI did? Well, I was sort of, I was, I was really burnt out on doing hot clicks twice a day. Um, it was, I, I just, you know, I had done that for seven years and, I didn't want to really do it twice a day anymore. And I knew, you know, I knew if I was at SI, that's what they would wanted me to do because it was very successful there. And, um, you know, SI is, you know, was at that point, they were part of Time Warner and there was a spinoff coming and they were becoming part of Time Inc. as a standalone company. So there were some issues there about sort of the future of the company, not really specifically, Sports Illustrated as a brand, because um, I think they'll always be around, but sort of the the parent company, and when there's spinoffs and, and you're spun off into a, a, a company that's much smaller, you know, there's always things like layoffs you're worried about and, right. and sort of upheaval in the company. So that was, a, you know, that was a factor as well in sort of, you know, uh, moving on. And it was just, I was there for, I was there for, um, like 12 or 13 years or something, uh, something like that. And it was just time to try to change and do something different. And were you there you at know. all in the, in the stone, uh, Wertheim era or did you leave previous to the switch over? Well, I don't think there was a stone worth. I mean, I know stone was always the guy who ran the magazine. Um, right. Well, when, uh, well, mean, the guy before was Terry something, right? And he laughed in there. McDonald. Right. And yeah. then th- he, yeah. they replaced him with Stone and Wertheim right. in some capacity. Right. Yeah. Well, not, no, they replaced him with Stone. Um, there was, I think, a competition really going. I, I know, I don't know, there was like, you know, sort of a competition to see who would get the job. I know Stone, and Stone got the job. I was there for, I was there for some of that. Oh, okay. And Wertheim is. Wertheim just got a is, different uh, position. Executive editor, yeah. I think his position is, or something like right, that. Right, right. Okay. Chris Stone runs the magazine. He's, He's managing the magazine. editor, maybe something like that. Semantics, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he has a good title with Tom Wertheim, and he you know, has a lot of input, and, and you know, is a top top guy there for sure. Yeah. Um, what do you think the future of uh, Big Buzz and uh, your job at there? Like, do you, do you see yourself? Uh, branching out to some of the other mediums in Fox or you feel really comfortable with what you're doing and how you're doing it. And, uh, well, I, yeah, I mean, I like what I do and I've, I've always liked doing internet stuff. I've always been an internet guy. That's what I like doing. That's what I think I'm good at doing. Um, obviously Fox, there's numerous like video and TV opportunities, but that doesn't really interest me. I know it's a, it's sort of bizarre because it seems like everyone wants to do TV and video, but I've never had that desire. And I, I just, I don't know. So that's something I, I think I would even be good at. Um, I think if I went to Fox and said I'd like to do some sort of video type of thing, they'd probably be down for that. But I like doing the internet stuff. I, you know, social media obviously being what it is. There's, I love that stuff and and sort of the aspects. But the one thing I I wanted to do more at Fox that I did for a little while, but because of behind-the-scenes reasons, for lack of a better uh, term. Um, I, I, I like doing interviews a lot, and I would like to sort of expand on that and 
and sort of get that going in a big way. Um, You've done so some podcasting there, right? Yeah, I did. I, I, I have a podcast. I still have it. I just haven't done it because, um, I don't know. I sort of, I'm sort of very anal about who I have on as a guest. Um, I, I'm not interested in talking. To, you know, I see people, I, I have immense amount of respect for people who podcast every week because there's just not that many interesting people to me. Um, and booking is very I, I, difficult. I, you know, it's, it's difficult yeah. to book, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult to book, like you said. And I really only want to speak to people who are either going to be funny or say interesting things. And a lot of times you're presented with opportunities to interview someone, but it's because they're pitching a product. And then those interviews are usually terrible. Right. Yeah. And that's really not my thing. I mean, you see, I mean, you see, I mean, all you have to do is look at what took place, you know, the week of the Super Bowl at Radio Row. I mean, right. It's the same ten guys pitching their product, and they do every single outlet, and that's not what I want to do. So, and like you said, it's hard to book. I mean, you see guys, and you know they're funny, and you know they'd be good, but it's just you know sometimes you just can't get them. So it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do. But um, I'm trying to actually. I'm in the middle of trying to work on um, sort of an interview, sort of doing interviews, written interviews. Um, where, you know, sometimes it's not, you know, you got someone and, you know, they might not have 20 minutes or a half hour for a podcast. And Send a few so, emails and get them back and then transcribe, yeah, yeah. Right. So more interviews is definitely something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on. You know, like when you're an independent like we are, uh, one thing that I've had to do is be resourceful is, is really look for people to write books, you know, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of our biggest guests we've been able to get because they have a book. You know, we actually right. – we've created a segment on the show. We did it almost right in the beginning uh, called The Book Club, not because we think a book club is a real cool thing, but because it gives us an opportunity to uh, have a spot where we can promote a book for a few different shows and then at the right. end have the guy who wrote the book. You know, We would have never had Frank DeFord on the show, for example, if Frank DeFord didn't have a book and a publisher I could email and say, you know, come on. Well, don't so, don't say that because DeFord is a, he he's one of the classiest guys I've ever met in this business. So I think he would have come on no matter what. But no, I he may have, saying. but it, it, I, I would I have never known how to reach him because yeah, it's a smart thing because if someone is is promoting a book, at least they have some good stories and nuggets from their book. I, when I say I don't want to talk to people who are promoting things, it's usually you know exactly just promoting Deodorant. Gatorade or yeah, Under Armour. Yeah, and that's exactly. Kind of disaster. No, I know. Yeah. Exa- I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I was looking at one last thing. I'll let you go. I know it's getting long, and I'm sure you didn't plan. No, no, no this problem. Afternoon. Uh, the sportscaster here with Jimmy Training is at Jimmy Train on Twitter. Uh, two things then. One thing is about Twitter. You tweet a lot, and you're very good at it. Uh, you have a great following on there. You're really good at, at interacting with uh, with uh, readers and um, colleagues. And uh, I wonder this, and, and it's something I worry about, uh, and probably everyone does. But I wonder how you manage mm-hmm. this worry. Uh, you know, we, we we type out a tweet and then you take that second and you read it and it's got to be going through your head like, okay, am I sure I want to tweet this because I don't want <laughs> this to be the tweet that's going to ruin my career or whatever. Right. You know, like how right. do you manage the um, – how do you manage those characters and be able to present a, a, an interesting feed but not have to worry right. about becoming the subject of today's fake outrage or whatever? Well – I mean, I I guess just from doing what I do for a living and having been in this 
business for a very, very long time now. I just, I just know what's going to get you in trouble and what's not. Now, listen, obviously I'm not perfect having said that. There, there are times where I, I will, I find myself struggling with something, um, about whether I should tweet this or not. I think 99% of the time I don't tweet it because that's an indication that there's right. a possibility for some issues there. But listen, I, I think it's fairly simple. I mean, I don't really tweet anything about race. I don't really tweet anything about um, um, any anything politics. that's sort of... Well, I mean, I'll see stuff about politics. I don't, I don't, that's not something that's going to get you in trouble. Um, you know, well, it depends what I the politics is. I mean, if you want to tweet about gay marriage or something, you better make sure that you're going with the trend on that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. Um, but I don't think... Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I mean that, that opens up a whole other discussion, which... Right. Yeah, like, I mean, benign me, politics know. are okay. Like, you know, like uh, how they're spending my money that I pay for taxes or something probably not going to get you in trouble but social i guess social politics is what i i tried to avoid on twitter yeah i mean i don't know i don't really consciously i mean i i sort of don't tweet about that stuff for the i mean sometimes i do but for the most part i don't tweet about it not because i'm worried about getting in trouble i'm i don't want to deal with the, the idiots on twitter that's why i don't right. do that stuff yeah um you know, there was something, um, oh, God, what the, what the heck was it? There was something recently. I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. If you go on there and you tweet anything positive about Barack Obama, no matter where, forget where you stand on it, if you're a Democrat, you're a, let's say he does so. All right, here's a perfect example. When he gave the State of the Union a few weeks ago and he got heckled and he had, like, a quick reply Right. And he said something about, okay. The elections so, of one, two of them or something like that. Right. So yeah. if you would, so if you go on Twitter and you say, wow, that was a quick reply by, or, you know, he thought on his feet pretty quickly there, or, you know, that was a snappy comeback, okay? Where you're not really divulging what your politics are. But if you just say that, you're going to get sort of bombarded with tweets from people who, oh, well, he, he ruined the country, he did this. <laughs> So I don't want to. So I don't tweet about it because I don't want to deal with that. Deal with that, right? Right. And that's um, fair. So that you know, you have to know that if you're going to tweet about anything like that, you're going to your mentions are going to sort of be a disaster. So that's why I avoid it. As for getting in trouble, I mean, listen, it's going it, to. I think it would take a lot. I think it takes a lot for a media person to get in trouble unless they work at ESPN because they have all these psychotic rules. But <laughs> I think I know what to do. I think I know what to do to not. I know what to do to not get in trouble. All right, last. You know? I mean, like I pick. I, for example, like I pick on A Rod a lot. I, I just don't like the guy. And there's a way to go about it. I mean, I can't. You know, if I went on Twitter and said, you know, Alex Rodriguez is an asshole, that sort of. I I don't think that would get me in trouble, but I don't. But I think there's. Sort of, I think it hurts you if you sort of say it like that. But I can go on there and say, you know, there's nobody worse than Alex Rodriguez, and then 
that's how I feel a little better. It's all in how you present it. And I think it's very much like if you're going with or against the grain, too. I mean, like I think if you get on there and you say Alex Rodriguez is an asshole, you're you're less likely to be in trouble for that because most people on right. Twitter think he's an asshole. You know what I right. mean? But Where, again, right. Again, my thing for, you know, I, I'll give you a perfect example. Like right now, for some reason, what everyone is into this, these sharks from Katy Perry's Super Bowl performance. And I guess today I just saw ESPN made a commercial with these sharks. I don't, I don't get this at all. I do not understand the fascination with these sharks. Now, I can go on there and tweet back. And I know, I know I'm going to get back, well, you're an idiot, the sharks are fine. So that I don't tweet it because I, that's, I don't want to deal with that. Got it's it. really not about, you know, yeah, if you go against the grain, I don't think you're going to get in trouble for going against the grain. But you're just your out engines are going to be a disaster. Right, the backlash. All right, last thing, and I'll let you go on this. I was looking through uh, some of the last handful of daily buzzes, just kind of seeing what, where you're at, looking through your Twitter and stuff. And I think one thing I noticed is you're very much a uh, fatiguing WWE fan. Yeah. I, I feel your passion and flame for the business, so to speak, <laughs> fading quite yeah. a bit. <laughs> And uh, I was I was reading through and I was thinking like uh, I was out for about ten years. I tapped out somewhere in the Attitude Era. I think right around right. when uh, the two leagues split off, and you had to watch SmackDown and Raw independently. Uh, right. I kind of tapped out there, and when the network came back, I I was really interested in it, and I I watched WrestleMania and subscribed to the network to try it out for the first six months, and I love the network. There's amazing things on there, and uh, it's kind of cut me in a little bit. Um, but I, I, I feel you. One thing I thought was interesting was you were tweeting about how on Raw it seems like every week, uh, you know, there's some kind of big show authority Kane right. uh, tangle up with uh, you know Dan, whoever. I was thinking about that, and I was like, you know, that really shows he's fatigued in the sense that that's always been the show. You know, like in the Attitude Era, every show was Austin versus McMahon or The Rock versus Austin or well, maybe Mankind is flipped in and then the B and C feuds. You know, that's always sort of how it's been. No, see, I don't agree. With, I don't agree from that standpoint because I think in the Attitude Era, their roster was so deep deeper you feel okay. that yeah i mean listen you're 100 right mcmahon austin was the centerpiece for a long time there's no doubt about that but on any given monday the main event can have you know austin mcmahon triple h the rock mankind the undertaker i mean you had edging christian back in the day the hardys were huge back in the day um the roster was just so much deeper the, the dudley boys they were there um so your frustration is more with the uh, with the development of the undercard. The undercard just bores you. What is there? Well, yeah. Well, well, no. See, I think the undercard is a little better. I mean, I, like I like the stuff that's going on with the Miz and then the Miz Dow guy or whatever. I mean, I like the Dolph Ziggler guy. My issue is every single week it's the same show. It's it's the Big Show and Kane and Seth Rollins and those two other guys. And they beat up either Daniel Bryan or Roman Reigns or John Cena. That's been the show for, I don't know. You got to, like, bring in someone else instead of the big, and the big show and Kane, to me, are two of the most boring wrestlers in the history of the WWE. Um, 
So <laughs> they are I so feel like generic, it's, yeah. it's the same thing. Every I, I will say this. I think what's really hurt, the, I mean, you talk about yourself being a guy who went away and came back. I mean, one of the differences, if, if someone um, sort of has been away from the WWE for a little while, I think what's hurt the company maybe more than anything is rubbing three hours on Monday night. Oh, yeah, that, that hurts bad. And Triple That's H admitted way it. too much time to sell. Triple H said it to Austin in the podcast last week. I don't know if you see yeah. it, but uh, yeah, Triple H yeah. said that third hour of Raw is really hard. And he's right because because they you know because it's a three hour show, they you know they start the show with like a twenty minute promo, always the same. You know, Triple H and the Authority often John scripted. Cena or whatever. You know, like last night, it started with a scripted Roman Reigns, you know, promo. Scripted right. promos are a big so. I think the three hours is really you know, a, a big problem for them. Now, listen, for them, it makes makes them more money because they have more commercials to sell. So, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, whether it's Howard Stern, whether it's sports blogs, or whether it's the WWE, at the end of the day, it's all a business and it's all about you know the, making money. So, that, you know, they will probably love the third hour from the, from a financial standpoint. Well, and you know what else hurts is that uh, they don't have an iconic guy moving the show along. You know, every other yeah. every other period where I watched, whether it was at, when I was a kid and there was Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura or Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan yeah. or Vince and one of those guys, they were iconic people into JR and The King or whatever. It's icons of the business. Michael Cole uh, is not an icon. He's this very, uh, very generic guy who... It's just the JR thing really bothers me a lot. It bothers me because to me it's the equivalent of baseball. I mean, this would be like the Dodgers telling Vince Scully to go home and, you know, giving Chip Carey the job to become like the Dodgers play by clay guy. I mean, that's what it's the equivalent of. They have this guy, Jim Ross, who's not working. He could easily be the Monday night raw content. And they're using Michael Cole, who I'm sorry, is just not that good. Right. Well, the the reason they do that, I, w- I would say, is because Michael Cole will sit in the middle of the booth and listen to Vince from Gorilla in his ear for three hours and say and do exactly as he's told, where JR is just, that's just, he's going to, if he's going to do that job, he's going to do it JR's way. And for whatever reason, right. they'd rather very much produce uh, the announcing. Yeah, that, it's very that's produced. That's a big factor. Yeah. That's a big factor. And there's also the issue of, you know, Vince McMahon, I think, you know, he's, they're trying to move on from the Attitude Era, and, and Jim Ross is so associated with it. And I think, you know, whether it has to do with his looks, his, his, his whatever, I think he's just trying to go in a younger direction. So, yeah. but it, it, it hurts the show. It absolutely hurts the show. Uh, no one can tell me differently. Absolutely. Well, Jimmy Traina is on Twitter. I've said it a few times. He's at Jimmy Traina, and it's a great follow. And every day, today it went up at around 11, the daily, uh, the big buzz on FoxSports.com. Is that around when you get it up every day, 11? Yeah, about 10, 30, 11, 10, we post 30, it. 11. And there is a podcast, but it doesn't really happen that much because he's really picky about guests. But well, there you know it is, too, with the podcast, with football. You know, once you get into those football playoffs, December, January, you know, you get, you know what happens is you get Thanksgiving right there at the end of November. Now you're in football craziness for December, the playoffs, and then, and then the Super Bowl. That's sort of rides you through it. So I think now that we're in this lull, I think you'll see the podcast back up. Yeah, this this is the time of the year in sports where you can you can really spread out and do every other thing because you're not as focused on you said the craziness of football and and all that. But um, yeah, 
Exactly. Uh, anything else you want to mention before I let you go? Thank you so much for all the time. It's great to have you back. I'm sorry. It's, I don't know why it's been so long, but uh, I'm glad, no, I'm I, glad I, you I came back. No, I appreciate you inviting me. Listen, I, I think it's better to keep like long stretches. You don't want to wear out your welcome. You know, Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um, so I think this is good. And uh, hopefully people didn't mind all the Howard Stern talk. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted we went to in do. Depth. We went in depth. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. No, I think that's funny. Did you did you like this segment I had chosen for Sternthology that they Oh yeah, I loved it. No, it was very it was, okay. yeah, it's great. You know what you gotta do is you gotta get in that fantasy league. Well, I'm actually in a separate fantasy league with J D and Jason. Um but I'm not in I'm not in the big fantasy league. But yeah, it would be nice to get in there. I mean I I mean fantasy is a whole other topic. I'm I don't know. I don't know. I think my fantasy football career may be over. <laughs> well, that's another thing that we could we that's could That's a uh, whole other topic. Yeah, yeah, I'm probably right there with you. I'll tell you that much. But um uh to be I would if even if I had sworn off fantasy for life, I think I could find my way uh to to bury those feelings to be in the Howard Stern fantasy league. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like I said, I'm in a league with JD and Jay. I, I I'm a huge JD fan on the show and, and Jason's a really good guy, so um, I enjoy being in a league with them, but yeah, they, that, that but I mean, that other league, I mean, I don't know if I can handle, that's the thing. I, I don't know if I can handle a league that intense because, uh, what's your call? Michael Rappaport. I yeah. Mean, he's insane. Yeah. He's, he's my nice. God. Yeah. I, I don't know if I want to be in a league with someone like that. Yeah. But it would be nice to, to, to do something. And then you're listening on Monday and all of a sudden Howard's talking with Gary about something you did in the fantasy league. Like if you would have told oh, yeah. me like five years ago that that was a possibility, I'd say like, no, I can't believe. Right. And maybe, maybe Matthew Barry deserves a lot of credit for this, but I can't, yeah, he be- does. I can't believe like how interested Howard is in the happenings of that league. It's just, it blows my mind. But, um, well, I mean, one of my favorite things about Howard is his lack of sports knowledge. Oh, yeah, I, I, think great. I, I wish he would talk more about sports just because I like hearing him talk about how he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, the day after the Super Bowl, he was trying to explain the, the, the Russell Wilson interception, and he goes, oh, and the quarterback tried to throw a blooper. And I was just <laughs> laughing. I mean, Well, I loved how we had this sort of unbelievable epic Super Bowl, as some have called the best ever, and it felt like his number one takeaway, what blew his mind the most about the whole day, was that the players introduced themselves and announced <laughs> right. their college. Which happens, which has happened every week for, for how many years, years now. Yeah. Yeah. That was great stuff. Yeah. That was great stuff. That's what I'm saying. He, you know, he pulls something like that out of his hat, and you're like, "Well, this is why this is the best show." Well, Jimmy from CW Post University, thank you for being on my show. Uh, Steve from Fredonia State University, and hopefully, even though you like absence, hopefully it's not hmm. three years this time. Maybe one and a half. Anytime, anytime. All right. I appreciate the invite. Very kind of you. Thank you. Thanks, bud. Anytime. Bye-bye. All right, I want to thank uh, Jimmy Trainer for being on the show. We definitely waited too long to have him back for sure. One of those things I could not tell you why he hasn't been on. No yeah. idea. Yeah, no, who knows. I About our opening, Yeah, we, we've talked about this before to the book club, I mean. The, oh, the final, yeah. When we had a book club, when we started the book club, this is probably an old story, but when we started the book club, we just said, let's play something that sounds like grand and exciting. So I just typed in fanfare. And the first one that came up was the one we used for like three or four, four and a half seasons. It was Final Fantasy Fanfare. And it didn't sound like uh, 
8-bit or 32-bit music. It was a real triumphant music. And the idea was it was this juxtaposition where that triumph would introduce us talking about books. Right, which some people might find boring. Right. Or whatever, right. I don't even know what like. There's got to be final like one of our listeners has to be a Final Fantasy fan and like knows which one I'm playing every time I play it because we're at the point where we just pl- type in Final Fantasy fanfare and just play something because the video is gone. Yeah. So I'm curious if anyone out there knows which one we used to play. Like, not yeah. even find me the video, just like what Final Fantasy was. Someone that from? tweeted me saying that they miss it. So if you know what it was, tell us and maybe we can rediscover it. Yeah, I'm fine. I'd be fine finding it. I'm just curious, like. What I don't even know which one it was from. I just got I clicked on the link that was already purple every week. Well, going back to the other thing we were talking about in the open was that I might make the podcast great. I'm a little worried that I might have fucked up. Um, I might have picked the wrong documentary. <laughs> well, let's not. <laughs> well, let's hold not on. Say that I have a couple. Hold on. First of all, okay. Backstory. I'm picking the documentary. I think to myself. Oh, they're writing about it in uh, a writer I know wrote about this in Sports Illustrated. Uh-huh. The director was a Yale hockey player, and because of those two things, there's no doubt they're going to be more than interested in doing this with us. Sure, that might not be true. Oh, okay. All right. So I had reached out to this guy th- before we did this, like that day. This all kind of happened in one hour, and I had this grand idea, and we were like recording, and a couple hours later, I'm shocking what little I know about Yale hockey to hear that anyone from Yale wouldn't be interested in talking about with a Yale yeah, fan. I, with I, guy. I can't believe it either. Because, yeah. like, literally everybody... I think it's an Ivy League thing. The few games I've been to to watch with you, you'll point people out, like, yeah, this guy wasn't a player, but he went to the school, and now he funds something for the team. Right. This guy does this. Yeah, and apparently like, this a, guy doesn't care. It's a super tight-knit <laughs> right. thing. Yeah. Well, he might just be busy. We'll we'll see. Sure. But he basically like didn't respond to my tweets and then he sort of did and he said email these people and he gave me two names and I sent them this really long email and they haven't responded yet and that was like 8 or 9 days ago. Okay. But I'd also emailed Ben Ryder who wrote the article and I asked him just for his email. Well, it's clear in his response that he emailed this guy first to say, "Can I give this guy your email?" Yeah. Because he said, "Here's the email," but he's traveling for the film, so he might not respond to you f- for a while. Okay. So apparently, his travel for the film is so strenuous that he has no time to email anyone who's interested in, uh, you know, promoting his film, which is very much independent, and who would love to maybe do uh, an event at one of the screenings. And uh, who would like to interview him. I mean, maybe SI is enough and he's just moving on. But he, the, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, and maybe this works out for him. Maybe and as maybe the month goes cool. on, his schedule will free up and he'll suddenly be emailing me and say, wow, this is such a great idea. When do you want me to be on? And maybe his documentary is great, but he has to feel like, and I can't think of a better analogy, but uh, I can't remember which came out first. It was Deep Impact and Armageddon. And Deep Impact, in a lot of ways... Maybe in every way, except for Cornball Factor, is probably the better movie than Armageddon. But Armageddon had like Steven Tyler and all these big stars attached to it, and Deep Impact had like Taya Leone attached to it. So Deep Impact kind of just disappeared, and people probably thought like Deep Impact ripped off Armageddon, even though it came out like right around the same time. But uh, this guy's got this documentary that is not out yet. 
and he's got a follow. It's screenings and stuff. Okay. You know, here and there, but not the wide the release that right. the 30 for 30 just had. And everything I've heard about it, I didn't see it, but everything I've heard about it makes it sound like it's phenomenal. It makes you sympathize <laughs> with the Russians. Let and, me say this. All right. There's a film called Red Army by a guy named Gabe Polsky who was a Yale hockey player. We would like to feature this as our book club book of the month this month. Maybe they're into it. Maybe they're not. Right now, I'm not sure. Uh, in the meantime, while waiting, ESPN's 30 for 30 released a film seemingly about the exact same thing, and they killed it. It was yeah. one of the best 30 for 30s. And I say this so much because so many of their they're films good, are so right. great. But, man, was it awesome. You haven't watched it yet, but, oh, it's so good. And one of the big parts that really stuck out to me is that they talk about the 72 Summit Series. You know, the whole if there's a goal that everyone remembers. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I had always known about it as this great Canadian triumph, right? Canada uh, possibly overlooks an unbelievable Russian team and suffers defeat in their own country, but rallies to ultimately win three of the four games in Russia and claim the series. Sure. And they have this amazing overtime goal by Paul Henderson, which is uh, forever immortalized in a tragically hip song. Yep. That's not how they paint the picture of this Summit Series in this documentary. I, I did hear the story about Bobby Clark. He breaks someone's hand right off he the face-off. Ba- he breaks their best player's ankle with one of the nastiest baseball bat slashes you will ever see. Right off a of face-off, right? Like just... No, the guy's kind of coming down the oh, okay. into the offensive zone, and he's trailing him, and he just... the Cana- they This film is so brilliant that they make you look at the Russian team as this... Like, sympathetic. Unbelievably yeah. sympathetic band of soldiers who have nothing to do with communism. They just love hockey. They just want to play hockey. They don't want to fight while they're playing. They're all about team and passing, not even scoring per se. How much do they get into? We played the clip for the one we wanted to feature and still may feature last week. We played the uh, trailer for yeah. it. And they got into a lot about the army service and being forced yeah, into Yeah, there's this, all kinds of that in they the They do film. that, yeah. They really focus on uh, Sava Fatisov in that regard because mm-hmm. he's the first one who wanted to really leave the army to go play in the NHL. And Lou Lamorello, for, who was working with the Devils at the time, was really instrumental. And the, the Army just kept stabbing him and the, this guy in the back and in the back saying he could go and not letting him go. He wouldn't defect. He was only going to go if, if he was able to go through release and all that. But, um, wow, unbelievable. 30 for 30 was amazing. I still haven't heard back from Gabe Polsky or any of the people that he... Who did this 30 for 30? Maybe we'll yeah. them they're, they're popular documentarians who've done other third 30 for 30s and supposedly really good ones. Yeah. So maybe maybe we'll switch up midway and just get them. I don't know. What a weird... We'll wait and see. But maybe check out this Red Army documentary. I, I know... Maybe we're featuring it. I know this has happened. Like I said, I maybe gave a bad example of Armageddon and Deep Impact. But I know this has happened. Where you know, it's another was, example. Like the timing is so bizarre. And uh, two, I have... a uh, Jeff Perlman is crazy and we're going to talk to him in a minute crazy about his book ideas and he doesn't release them because he his barry bonds book came out right when that famous barry bonds book about uh game of shadows i think it's called or okay maybe that's not it i don't know two guys from san francisco wrote a book about barry bonds and it came out right when 
Perlman's book about Bonds was coming out. Yeah, it's Game of Shadows. Game of Shadows, and it ruined it. And then another one is uh, we saw – we spoke with the director of a football concussion documentary, and I believe it was called Head Games. Okay. And that then right. I do remember that. And then PBS put out that one that the NFL like bailed on. Oh, that's right. And like when that came out, like everyone forgot to remember the other, like just blew off the other one. What's weird about those things is in the in the public eye, you see like a trailer for something, and then you see like a trailer for something real similar, and you, you just think, think it's this the is same a ripoff. Uh, or or you, yeah, you just they both combine themselves in your brain, but like. Behind the scenes, movies and books take years and years and years to make. Right. So there's no way that one ripped off the other. It's just strange, strange coincidences that that happens. Well, uh, maybe check out the Red Army documentary if you if it's showing in your area. It's not here yet. Uh, check out the trailer. Um, if you're in New York and LA, it's definitely playing there. If not, you're waiting. Yeah. <laughs> How did Thirties for Thirties work? When do they? Are they replayed on a schedule or Could they replay have, them? Just have to look it up. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to check that one out. That one definitely. Interesting. So yeah, definitely check that one out too if you haven't. And uh, somewhere along the line, at the end of this month, we're going to talk to someone about these Russian hockey films. <laughs> there you go. All right, we'll be right back with Jeff Perlman. All right, our next guest is from Mayo Pack, New York, and has graduated the University of Delaware. He was a columnist for Sports Illustrated and Newsday before retiring from that to publish several New York Times bestselling books, including his late, latest, Showtime, about the 1980 Lakers. And he's making his fifth appearance on the podcast today. A warm welcome to Jeff Perlman. What's going on, Jeff? So the, where does five have me ranked in the all-time, uh, in the all-time list? Oh, five would be in the... Uh, you're in a big pack of guys who are around five. Oh, man. You know what I Who's mean? Who's the all-time leader? Lee Jenkins. How many does Lee have? 19. That guy hasn't even written a book. Come on. <laughs> but here's what people always get mad at Lee. <laughs> I mean, in a joking sense about that. Yeah, Lee's like, Lee's, uh, Lee and I are friends. You know? Right, yeah. I, I know you're joking, yeah. but and no one would be jealous of being on the show 19 times. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean is that he, we don't know a lot about a basketball. I'll admit mm-hmm. that up front. Uh, we don't have a team in Buffalo. We haven't had one since, you know, my dad was a kid. And uh, there's not a great connection there. But uh, right. And I don't know a lot of basketball guys. So when we need to talk basketball and there's a guy who does it as well as Lee does and is as nice yeah. as Lee is, it's really easy to just ask him every time. Yeah, right. You know what I Lee mean? Lee also is one of the most underrated writers, I think, in America, like sports writers in America. Guys, is great. Oh, he's our guy. So, you know, it's I try to say this all the time, but I think it, people just think, well, that's your guy. You're going to say that. But, I mean, I was so happy in the summer when, you know, he was the guy who had broken the biggest story of the year. And I, yeah, right. I remember just, like, thinking, like, now everyone's going to know, like, how great Lee Jenkins is. And then yeah. I was like, oh, man, I hope he's still going to want to come on. And, of course, he did because he's just – as good as his writing, he's – He's that nice, if not nicer. Yeah, he's very good. And he, I'll tell you two funny things just related to this. Is number one, I didn't know Lee, even though we've been in the business for almost the same amount of time. And we're both Nashville. We have Nashville roots to a certain degree. And uh, 
I started knowing him because we would do Jim Rome together, the, the Jim Rome's TV show. Um, and I would be there'd be a panel. They always fly into writers, and I do it a lot with Jim, uh, with Lee. Um, which makes me think you mentioned I'm a University of Delaware graduate. And on my last, I was on Rome's show last week, and at one point he asked me about um, USC and their recruiting this year and their recruiting class. And I know nothing about USC's recruiting class, <laughs> but you can always go to some kind of a stock answer to a certain degree. And I was talking about how I love when the traditional powers. Um, are good. I think it makes college sports more exciting. So I said, you know, it's great when you have teams like USC, like Nebraska, like Oklahoma, like Delaware, like Miami. <laughs> like Penn. And he goes, Delaware? And I was like, yeah. So I love dropping Delaware references wherever I can. That's nice. I've been excited. Uh, you know, I'm a big Howard Stern guy, and he knows, you know, nothing about sports. But he watched the Super Bowl like most Americans do, uh, or what, 120 million of them or whatever this year. And uh, and and the Monday after the Super Bowl, which was a somewhat great one, I'm sure it ranks somewhere near the top five or six of them, or whatever. His biggest takeaway was how blown away he was that the players introduced themselves by name and where they went to college. This oh like God. blew his mind. So pretty much since then, anytime anyone calls the show or whatever, everyone's always saying like so and so and their university. Whether it's someone who works for them and they come in the studio to talk, or it's a guest or a caller, he, it's, he's all, he's on that kick right now, so it's pretty fun. Because I'm, well, I'm, I'll just say that I'll just say Jeff Perlman, uh, Delaware. Yep, yeah. and Lee Jenkins, we were talking about. I'm pretty sure he's Vanderbilt. He is Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt. yeah. I'm I'm really good at that with athletes too. Like you know where they went to college. Like that's always. Oh, I'll kill you. You I'll might kill you in that contest. You might. I mean, you could definitely that's go my, deeper. You go deeper 80s, than me. Eighties athletes. I am a savant when it comes to college, and I don't know why. Yeah, you can go a lot deeper than me. That's where it would hurt yeah. me. But yeah, um, listen, I uh, I was excited to have you on because you have your your last book is now it's in the paperback stage now, right? I know I saw a paperback copy yeah, of it yeah, at my yeah. bookstore, so I was like, oh, I have to email Jeff and and see if he wants to come in because I feel like with the last book. Sweetness, we talked to you in the in the beginning phase or somewhere around there uh, when it was a hardcover, and then we talked to you again uh, at the end when it was a paperback. And I hope you know how much I love Sweetness because I always get really disappointed when I read about what a disappointment it was for you professionally. And I understand why, but it just disappoints me because that book is so good that it should have been a triumph. And I'm not oh, saying what? I'm not saying oh. that because you're on. Um, I, I said that to you and on my Twitter and wherever else plenty of times, yeah. but it disappoints me that it wasn't as great for you. But now that you're getting to the end with this book, the, and it's the one after, where does the whole experience kind of compare and contrast, and how is it better or worse or the same, if you know what I'm saying by that question? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, you, don't, you don't always admit this stuff, but I consider Sweetness like a better book than Showtime, and Showtime... God, as far as I could tell, really good reviews. But Sweetness, just to me, the reason I was so disappointed by that is just because I, I really felt like kind of connected to Walter Payton's story, and it really did something for me. And, like, there's, there's something about... It was the first time I'd written a book about an athlete who, uh, and his entire life, you know, he died at 46, so it wasn't just writing about him and his career. It was him and his... Literally, his, 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 his birth, his rise, his fall, his death. And... So I got really attached to that one in a, in a, in a really strong way. So, I mean, you don't have to feel bad for me. Like, I mean, overall, it was a great experience. The book sold well enough. It was a bestseller. I'm not, it was more like, 
it was very hard taking the abuse from people who didn't read the book and from idiots like Dick, as I mm-hmm. probably said in your show before. And that, yeah. and he never read the book. And Eddie Payton, Walter's brother, never read the book, but they hated the book. So, you know, Showtime. The thing about Showtime is like, hold on, can, can I follow up on that real quick? Yeah, please. Before you get into Showtime, one thing I want to say is I know you're downplaying a little bit, but it was not that long ago that you posted a blog where you had read a review on Amazon, and you really wrote, and I feel like when you write those blogs, you always really are very fresh, and you write them sometimes very off the cuff, and you say things very, very real. And I, I know that, that, that it, I just feel bad about that. Just be, I know you're downplaying a little bit, but um, I just think so highly of that book that I just wish that the experience was better. But I guess there's nothing either of us can do about it. Except for, I, I guess I'm saying this stuff because I'm like, well, maybe if I remind him one more time how much I loved it, maybe <laughs> maybe he'll warm up to the experience just a little bit more. I don't know. No, I'm not. It's, I, it's like hard to explain. It's like, I feel good about that book. I think it's the best book I've written. Probably, be, I don't know, maybe it'll be the best book I ever wrote. I mean, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But like, I think what bothered me, like when I think about it, what I really think about is a column that Michael Wilbon wrote where he kind of implied that I did it just for the money. And that has always stuck with me. And the guy never apologized. I don't even know if he read the book. He hadn't read the book at that point. Um, And it just really bugged me. You know, it bugged me from a journalistic standpoint because I really, I I just really believe in journalism and I believe in sort of reporting what you're writing about and the backlash to that. And it just, yeah, it hurt. But, but I'm not like, I'm really not like scarred by it and I'm not plagued by it. And like the thing I wrote about the blog post you're referring to, I don't even know why, but I just was reading, I must've been bored or self-indulgent or something. I was reading some reviews of it and I just, you know, came across a really harsh one and kind of wrote about it. But I'm not, I'm really not, I'm not haunted by it. It just, I felt like that was my best book and, and it, it wasn't, always perceived the right way. So what can you do? Right. No, okay, so I was asking you to kind of com- compare the whole experience from, you know, publish of the hard- of the hardcover to when the paperback came out from Sweetness and now uh, how this next book was different um, or better or worse or, you know, the same or whatever, you, whatever way you want to go with it. Well, the thing about Showtime that was cool is um, – the Lakers are great. Like, they are a great organization. I'm not saying, like, player personnel or player development, because right now they're really down. I'm not, I'm not even referring to that. I'm just saying, like, people like Jeannie Buss, like Linda Rambis, who's Kurt's wife and works in the front office, um, they're good people, you know? And they knew, like, they understood the whole time. Not everything is going to be warm and fuzzy, um, but if you do it honestly. And Linda always said to me, Linda Rambis repeatedly, you know, I, you know, she basically kept saying, like, as long as it's, as long as it's honest, I'm not going to have a problem. No one's going to have a problem if you're honest in the book. And the book wasn't all, like, roses and, and you know, chocolates. Like, there was some, some negative stuff toward the Lakers and whatever. But, like, they were all cool about it. And they were all appreciative about it. And, like, Jeannie Buss recently was interviewed on Rick Fox's podcast. And she was saying how that book should become a movie. Um, and I don't care if it ever becomes a movie or not. I mean, obviously, that'd be nice. But, that, right. but like, I was just touched that she felt that way. And what made me feel good about it is I know I didn't give the Lakers any pass. It wasn't like I was being nice to them because they were, they were nice people. Like the book was just as kind of hard as sweetness was maybe even a little more so, but they're just decent, honest people who get it. You know, they get that not everything you do is perfect. They get that sometimes in hindsight, the light can be a little harsh and they were okay with it. And, And they read the book and they knew what was in the book. So it just made it a much more pleasurable experience for me. I don't, 
I don't care if you I get negative reviews. I mean, I don't love it, but I, it's it's not going to burden me as long as people I think are are honest and fair and actually read the book. And, and the people at the Lakers read the book. And am I right that they sort of invited you in and around the arena to promote and sell the book? No, it's so funny. So this is a true story. They actually did not. Okay. Um, and it wasn't the Lakers who were jerks. It wasn't, um, you know, um, it was whoever runs the concessions there. They were not, they weren't great about it, but that was okay. And one day, and I think I blogged about it, but um, when the book came out, I decided I'm like a total, 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 total book whore. Like you'll never find a bigger book whore than me where I'll do anything to promote a book. And I always have my publisher print out these postcards for the book. And I have a cover on one oh, side. Okay. Is that what I was thinking? Other. You were passing them out there, right? Well, I, uh, I bought a ticket from a scalper for like 20 bucks to like Lakers, whoever, some crap game, Kings. I think it was Lakers-Kings. Right. Put a ton of those postcards in my backpack. And I was walking in the arena, and I thought, I don't know, it's not like I have a gun or even water. I just have these things. And they asked me to open the backpack, and the guy would not let me in. <laughs> with the postcards. So I got busted. I was going to walk around the arena and like, sneak postcards in different places, which is so pathetic. Um, but I got busted, so it never happened. <laughs> okay. I don't know why I thought you maybe had pictures. Did you hand them out in the parking lot anyway? As you oh, yeah, all over the parking lot. Okay. I was like sneaking in the garage. And part of it is like, you know, like my, my dad, um, he, he used to be a writer, and he was kind of all about like, self-promotion and funny ways that you can do it and being sneaky, not in, a, not in a malicious way, but trying to come up with sort of creative ways to promote yourself. And I always kind of love that. So even though the postcards are pathetic and, and maybe you should reach a point in your career where you no longer do that, I, I don't think I haven't reached that point. I still enjoy it. You, uh, you actually had a tweet a while ago about asking people for good ideas to promote the quaz. And I thought I threw you a great one. I don't think you liked it, but that's all right. Did you get any Wait, what was it? What was it? I said you should do something like a quiz about the quaz. You know, where people can, in some way, like through Twitter or whatever, like maybe answer a trivia question from you that's about the quaz that you just wrote to win a book or something. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I get that. But, I mean, did you get any good ones? No, not really. You know, okay, it's mine a matter was the best, of, like, if you, if you, you got to do, like, you know, like, of the matter is, if I really want to promote it in a huge way, I gotta. You probably have to pay for it and start paying for Facebook ads and placement and stuff like that. And uh, you know, it's grown a lot. Like it definitely has grown a lot. I get a lot more views than I used to. Like a lot, a lot more views than I used to. Um, I actually have publicists now calling me to have their clients do it, which is kind of nice. Um, so it's changed a lot. It's my favorite thing I've maybe I've ever done. I absolutely love doing it. I'm addicted to it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You- you find some some random people. I'll give you that for sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, you'll never say this, but I can real quick, and I want to say it before we go along, uh, before we get too far away from it. There is no way, by the way, that Michael Wilbon just loves TV so much more for writing, so much more than writing. They didn't leave writing to go to TV for anything but the money. So, are you saying he went for the money? Yeah, absolutely, he did. Of course, he did for fame, money. Yeah, whatever. I don't. Wait, I don't disagree with that. I think like um. So I did say it. Ha-ha. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. I'm not, and I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. Like, no, um, I mean, but I my, mean, to call you out for doing something for money. Oh, I mean, yeah, is, right, right. Is absurd. No, believe me, I've thought about this a million times. And the thing that uh, the thing that irks me, I did a quiz one time with Bob Lee from ESPN, and I was talking about like the ego that comes with whatever being recognized in an airport on TV, you know, as a TV guy. And he said he called it a red light fever, and that a lot of people fall with red light fever. 
And I think Wilbon is clearly a guy who's got some red light fever, where he loves being recognized, he loves being a voice, you know, he, you know, he's kind of sold his soul a little bit to TV, and, and that sounds more insulting than it is. I mean, there's nothing wrong. If he, if you only live once in life, and it's a, if that's what you enjoy doing, if you enjoy TV more than writing, I don't have a problem with that. If you enjoy the ego that comes with it, I don't have a problem with it. Um, but when you bring people down and you're misinformed, I guess I have a little bit of a problem with it. So it's a small complaint. but Yeah, it was just a little aside by me. So what do you think uh, you're going to take away most from the work that you did with Showtime into whatever your next book is? You know, I, I don't actually know. I mean, I, I really, you know what's funny? I'm going to tell you the truth. I was about to say something and it was going to be a lie. And I'll tell you that's the truth. Showtime was a pain in the ass. Right, mm-hmm. I would say like, oh, it was the best, and blah blah. It was a pain in the ass. It was really hard, and it was like, it really beat me down. You know, all these books beat me down, but I've, I actually feel like Showtime beat me down more than most. Um, I don't love writing team books. You know, I, I find team books there's a challenge to them that you don't have with individuals, which is the repetition. You know, you're writing about the Lakers of the 1980s. You're writing about ten different seasons. So how do you make ten different seasons with the same team and the same rivalries? Um, unique, and it gets challenging after a while. You know, it really gets challenging after a while because I, I know Bird Magic was amazing, but how often can you write about it? How, how often has it been written about? And I know, you know, Kareem was moody, but he was moody every season. So there were points in writing that book where I really thought it was going to just bomb, and I thought I wasn't going to be able to put out a good book. And even when the book was done, I said to my wife, I was like, I think this is my worst book. And the reviews started coming in, and people just I'm not saying this arrogantly. I'm saying I'm honestly surprised. Like, people really love that book. And I keep getting nonstop emails from people, man, Showtime, you know, best book, best sports book I've ever read or best basketball book I've ever read. And just being honest, my first instinct is to go, really? You know, did you ever read Loose Balls by Terry Pluto? You know, because there are some really good books out there. Um, and I just think, I just think, like, I'm my own worst critic, just like most probably people are, and definitely most writers are. I always think everything I write sucked, and I really thought this one sucked, and it turned out that a lot of people liked it, and that was actually, I think that was actually more rewarding because it was kind of surprising for me. I think it's in the middle for me, but it's definitely the one I was least interested in before I opened it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Like, the book itself was sort of at a disadvantage because I really am not a big basketball fan, Right. where I love baseball and football. Well, you don't love basketball. That's the thing. I was talking to my mom the other day. My mom has only read one of my books, which which I always find insulting, right? I always... You've only read one of my books. I've written six books. You know, like, you're my mom. And the only books you read were Sweetness, and I'm still not convinced you didn't skim through it. And uh, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, like, yeah, it's just her kid's name on the cover, but, like, she doesn't care about sports at all. And no matter how much you try to make them not really sports books, but books about sort of people and individuals and their journeys, um, the binding element is sports. So if you're not interested in basketball, if you don't give a crap about basketball, I could see where Showtime might be, you know, it's still about a basketball team, so it wouldn't be as interesting. It just puts it at a disadvantage compared to a book about baseball or football to me. Right. But I still think it climbed its way to the middle. I still think there's probably, I'd probably put it fourth. So what I would see, I would go, if I go my own books, which isn't, I mean, who, who ranks their own books, but I would go Sweetness, number one. Yeah. I go Love Me, Hate Me, the Bonds book, number two. I'd go, um... Boys will be boys three. I go Showtime four. I go Bad Guys one five, and I go Clemens six. And I have so many people. The number one book I get response for in a positive way is a Bad Guys one. Right. Um, and it was my first book, and I always felt 
yeah, I'm happy with it, whatever. But uh, I, I always wish I could add another crack at that because I feel like I could have made it a lot better. I would say my number one is definitely Sweetness. My number two is probably the Mets book. Is that the Bad Guys one? Or yeah, it's the Bad Guys okay, one. Okay, yeah. I, I forget the names. I just know it's the it's Mets right. book. And then the next would probably be the Cowboys book. Mm. And then this one, and then the Bonds book, and then the Clemens book, which I probably would have liked more if you didn't hate it so much. You, you, I, wait, you I told say. me not to read it. You told me to forget it. Did not even bother. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know. So you put me on the run from the start with that one, and then like one so day funny. I had like ten bucks left on iTunes card from Christmas, and I'm like, I got nothing to read right now. I don't care what he says. I like his other ones. I'll try it. And I liked it a lot more than I thought I was, but you put me on, you put it on the run because you you just had it on blast. I mean, you literally told me not to bother. It's so, so funny. You know what? <laughs> you know what? It's like uh, that was a really weird book for me. I mean, that was like that's my weirdest book experience ever. Um, I wrote it, and uh, I was working on it, and my my uh, we found out that um, there's going to be another Clemens book coming out. And I had this experience with Bonds where Game of Shadows came out two weeks before mine. It just killed me. Right. So my editor at HarperCollins, this guy David Hersey, who I really like, said to me, you know, what if you, can you get it in like five months early, right? And I was like, oh my God, shit, five months early. Sounds like a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. It's yeah. a lot of time. Sounds and uh, I did it, but I, I always felt like the Yankee years were kind of incomplete and a little thin. You know, I like to talk to a million people and I didn't talk to a million people. And so, uh, that was it. And also, you know, it didn't sell that well. It was my worst, definitely my worst selling book. And I kind of knew every now and then, you know, you, you're working on a book and you think, I don't know, a lot's going to have to happen for this to sell out. I just saw an experience with bonds, the negative power of a bad personality and a guy who people thought to be kind of a dickhead. And I kind of saw that I was going into it again with Clemens, but I got a really good deal for it. Um, so I did it, and, and I, I enjoyed a lot of it, but it, it, there was a lot of negativity toward it, too. I almost felt, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I hear myself talking, and I feel like such an idiot, because I, like, uh, I sound like Paul Stanley going over the Kiss catalog. Yeah, but I was just talking about all the shit you did, you know? Two things about that. One, I called you to talk about your stuff. Part, yeah, I know. you know, so so it's a, it's the right forum for it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I asked you. Another thing is, I don't know if you watched that metal show or if you've ever seen it on VHS. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, but uh, Jim Florentine has become a friend of the show. He's been on a few times. A really funny comedian. Hates everything. I love it about him. And uh, they have a really great bit on that show where when they have a guest, they wheel out this wall with vinyls of all their records on and sort of force them to rank them. That's and awesome. They're so, they all of the guys struggle so much with doing it. You know, like, it's, well, it's, and I think it's just really hard for people to evaluate things that they've spent so much time working on. The other thing is, is like a book represents like a time in your life and a time period in your life, right? So, you know, Bad Guys won. My my daughter was born during that process, right? So, there's a very, you know, it's it represents a really kind of magical time in my life. You know, um, sweetness. I used to have a lot of troubles with like health anxiety, and sweetness was like in the heart of that. You know, where like especially when I'm under pressure and I just felt a lot of pressure with that book. So, and then it came out and everything, you know, went negative. So that was a very hard thing for me. And, and, you know, bonds was actually, the bonds book didn't sell well, but the process was really fun. And I love San Francisco. So it's also like the travel. I love San Francisco. Just like I love LA. So like those are really fun. And, and the cowboy book was actually a really fun experience too. Cause those guys were so fun and they were so lively. And I, 
you know, I snuck into Michael Irvin's Hall of Fame party, which was one of the greatest joys of my uh, of my reporting existence, sneaking under the rope. Um, so they all kind of have different experiences, not just about like the words on the page. It's about what they what comes with them, you know. Yeah, I think music has got to be very much like that for guys who, who you know, write and record albums. And yeah, uh, probably so. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, you're like. You listen to like Ace Freely. I used to be a big Kiss fan. I'm really not anymore. But you listen to Ace Freely talk about like the drug days and the clean days, and I was doing heroin on this, and I was doing coke on this, and blah blah blah. And you know, you can kind of understand where they're coming from. I was just I was just the other night watching the. Uh, I guess it's the 40th anniversary of SNL or something coming yeah. up. Oh yeah, was that good? Uh, well, I don't think the special's aired yet. The one that Eddie Murphy's going to be on, but it's yeah. coming up. So for whatever reason, uh, the uh, second time Pearl Jam was on there, which was 94. Emilio Estevez was the host. Uh, someone posted on one of the fan sites like the link to that performance. I hadn't watched it in a long time. And the first song they played was Not For You. I don't know if you know the song, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was the first time. No one, I remember, I, you know, I was 13, I think, at the time. Uh, and uh, I, they, had, it was, they were still very much on verses. And the other two songs they played were Rearview Mirror and Daughter, which are on verses. So this was a new song. And it was also the... Uh, when they played, Kurt Cobain was missing. He would eventually be found dead. But at the time, he was just missing. No one knew where he was. There's like a few days of limbo. And I watched the, the performance just the other night for the first time in so long. And it was just so incredibly raw. And I remember that then I had thought, I don't know what that song is. But wow, I need to watch my VHS a hundred times before I go to bed tonight to watch it wow. again. And... um. And then also I found out years later that Mike McCready, the guitar player, uh, who uh, was having some trouble with drugs and alcohol, blacked out that night and didn't even know they played Daughter the next day. And watching, oh, that, watching that today, or just recently, I was like, holy, holy cow, that's, oh, wow, amazing. But um, I always want to argue Pearl Jam and Nirvana with you, but I don't think we have time for that today. Maybe next time. Because uh, I know you love Nirvana. And I, I love Nirvana too, but. I love Pearl Jam too. Pearl Jam is better. Yeah, but you never, you never even mentioned Pearl Jam and you're Captain Nirvana over there. But um, uh, that's right. Uh, I, I want to ask you, you mentioned a second ago, we talked about this earlier. Uh, for our book club right now, we're actually fe- featuring a documentary. We've never done this before, but um, there's a documentary by this guy who was a Yale hockey player. He just made a film, and Ben Ryder wrote about it in Sports Illustrated recently. And it's about the Soviet hockey team that lost to the United States mm-hmm. in, uh, in the Miracle on Ice. And when I approached the director about doing this thing with us, I had no idea that while we were starting it, there was going to be another documentary seemingly about the exact same thing on ESPN. I don't know if you saw the 30 for 30 on Sunday, but no, I mean, good? It, it was amazing. Uh, and it really scares me for this guy uh, because it's, it's seemingly about the exact same thing. I mean, I, I watched the trailer a few more times, like make sure I'm not missing like his documentaries somehow different. I haven't seen his yet. I haven't gotten the, the screener he promised yet. But I don't know how it's going to be different. And this one was so good and so well-received that it makes me nervous for him. And I know you went through it with a couple of your books. And we talked about um, uh, there's a documentary called Head Games, uh, I yep. think is what it's called. And it came out before the League of Denial one. Yeah. Uh, but the League of Denial one somehow totally overshadowed it. And I kept asking people, like, why do you love this so much? I just saw this a month ago. It was called Head Games then. Uh, it's kind of like the old SNL joke about people not liking uh, – thing as David Spade said. I listened to the new uh, Stone Temple Pilots CD, and it was pretty cool, except for I liked it a lot better last month when it was called Pearl Jam. Hmm. But uh, 
I don't know. I'm worried for this guy. How do you? De- I mean, how do you deal with something? How does that happen? First of all, like, how did it happen that you and another guy? It was guy, the worst. It, right, it was the yeah, worst. Tell me it was about the this worst. Um, so basically, it was "Love Me, Hate Me" my Bonds book and uh, Game of Shadows, and I don't know for some reason they missed it. Like they just missed it. Maybe they were keeping Game of Shadows uh, quiet. Um, but I remember finding out and just wanting to throw up. You know, like really wanted to throw up. There was no way we were going to be able to be out before them. And I'll tell you what, it was, it was really low for me. And I had only, I maybe I'd been gone from Sports Illustrated for three years. I don't know what it was, but they were running an excerpt on the cover from Game of Shadows. And my book was being excerpted in like ESPN, the magazine. And it was so, I knew, I just knew I was dead. I really knew I was dead. And I was dead. And, you know, one of the things that made it worse is the guys who did Game of Shadows, like, they did a great job, and they're nice guys. And, like, so it wasn't like, I didn't feel like I had this enemy. I, I, you know, you want, almost want to blame someone or be mad at someone, but I couldn't really, they were good people, and they did a wonderful, their book was great, you know. And I remember my publishing house, you know, trying to put a positive spin on it. Ah, oh, you know, that one's about this part, and this one's about that part. But I knew it was not, I just knew it was, I was dead. And I was dead. And uh, it was real. it's painful. It's so painful. There's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes you just miss these things. Um, so now when you, were, when you were promoting it, did people say it? Like, was it a, a common conversation? Like, did people yeah. say, hey, there's this, like, how did you deal with that? Like, and how did the, the people, the people who dealt with it the best were interviewing you, how did they approach it? Uh, they kind of asked. They just asked. So how do you feel about Game of Shadows? Or how do you feel about coming out? And I never, I was always like, I had nothing, the thing is I had nothing bad to say about Game of Shadows. It was really good, you know, and really well-researched. And the only thing I could say, which is true, is that their book was more about the PEDs and my book was more about the life journey leading up to the PEDs. Um, but I knew as true as that was, and it wasn't, that was not just a line, it really was true. Uh, I knew as true as that was, uh, I was dead meat. And I, you know, it was Mark and Lance were the two guys who did that book, and I, I think I've joked with both of them in the years since. I mean, again, they're, they're both like just really good guys, and they did a great job. So it wasn't like I had any... I couldn't be mad at them. I couldn't form enemies out of them. I couldn't talk trash. Not that I would, but it, it just sucked. It was just bad timing, but it was crushing. Like, really crushing. A low point in my career. One of the lows of my career. The guys that did this 30 for 30, it's Hawk Films, yep. and they did a few of the other ones. Like, they yep. did... Uh, uh, the best that never was, I think. Um, uh, they did a, a few that you know have already aired, and I just feel like this other guy is just going to be sort of dead in the water like that. And it's, I don't know. I, I hope I hope there's space for two documentaries about the team that lost to the U.S. and the Miracle on Ice. I hope, but and it's tough. It's hard to imagine. But I mean, if someone agreed to show it, you could be okay. I mean, it's basically a matter of you're not going to get rich off of documentaries either way. So it's not like you write a book. You're hoping to make, a, you know, one of the hopes, just being honest, is you're hoping to make a lot of money and you hope it sells a lot and it leads to your next book deal and blah, blah, blah. Like, at least with a documentary, if you get someone to agree to show it, you know, I've heard the line a million times, you don't get rich off documentaries. You get notoriety. So I think if you get someone to show it and it gets good reviews, you might have a, it might be not quite as harmful as having your book come out after another book, maybe. Right. And I think that maybe Hoke Films gets, or if I might be pronouncing that wrong, I think they might get rich off documentaries. You know, like Morgan Maybe. Spurlock definitely does, I assume. 
I don't even know. And Michael know. Moore, I, I would think, not the way does. To, not the way to get rid of Yeah, I think I was saying is that I think very few people do, and I think that puts the Red Army. One's called the Miracles and Men, and one's called Red Army. Uh, but I don't know. I wonder, did you ever think that if it was if your book was about a more likable person, that there would be more of an audience for two of them? Like, mm. Does that matter? Like, well. I definitely feel like I've learned over the years that people don't want to spend 25 bucks on a douchebag. I really feel that way. I feel like the, the lesson of Clemens and Bonds um, is people don't want to spend a lot of money to read about someone they hate. You know, it's one thing if it's like, you know, if Walter Isaacson came out with, like, the definitive Hitler biography, it, it would probably sell because it's Isaacson and it's, it's not just someone who, who was loathsome. It was someone who kind of changed the world. But do you want to spend twenty five bucks on a ball player you you booed and didn't really enjoy seeing? Um, I don't really think so. You know, I think I learned that lesson. I learned it with Bonds, kind of ignored it, learned it again with Clemens, and I think learned my lesson. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't want to. And that's the other thing. I don't want to spend two years with a guy like who I find loathsome. I mean, that was a hard part with Bonds. This, he was so dislikable, unlikable, um, that it did get a little, it did beat on you a little by the end of that project, like. Would someone just say something nice about this guy, please? No. <laughs> well, I feel bad for whoever has to write the uh, Kanye West book. Uh, oh my god! Fifteen years. No kidding. <laughs> but uh, uh, if you ever, you know, if you're the guy, I hope you're the guy, or whoever it is that writes the Drew Brees book when that time comes. I mean, they can charge fifty for it. You know, it's not going <laughs> to matter. You think that would sell? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you know better than me. I have no idea. Who knows what's going to happen in the next five or ten years in Drew Brees' career to make that a good or a bad book. I have no idea. But, I mean, I know no matter what, I would read it. And then I think, well, I think maybe before I knew about your books, I might have said there's no price to ever get me to read a Bonds book. But I did read yours. So, yeah, I don't know. I appreciate that. Uh, you said on Twitter the other night uh, that when you watched the Grammys that Annie Lennox uh, had the best oh. live vocal ever. Oh, my God. Did you watch it? Yeah, and she was great. But I did throw Ann Wilson back at you from Heart, who I think... Well, first of all, I love Heart. Uh, I think Ann Wilson is awesome. Oh. Like, awesome, awesome. Oh. I think Heart... Man, freaking Heart... You know, they have a they have a unplugged yeah, CD. from Seattle. Returning Home the, or something like that. The Long Road Home. Yeah, Long Road Home. Yeah, I have the CD. The, it's amazing. Oh, she... No, she's great. What I'm saying is... What I really meant was, like... I, I can't remember the last time. What I loved about that Annie Lennox performance is like, number one, 70% of viewers probably had no idea who she was, right? right? Mm-hmm. Number two, she's 60 years old, right? Because I'm not saying she's super old, but for a performer at the Grammys, it's, it's up there. And number three, she just got on that stage and freaking blew it away. Like, just blew it, blew it, blew it away. And I always thought, I thought she was an underrated vocalist. You know, they... Uh, they had the Eurythmics had a song back in the, I think, early 90s called Would I Lie to You? And the vocals on that are just insane. And she is a great voice. And, like, nobody knew who she was. And she owned the Grammys that night. And there were a lot of, like, young stars who performed who just, like, could not hold a candle to her. And I, just, I love seeing it. Did your kids watch with you? Like, were you watching? No. no. But my wife doesn't give a crap about any Lennox. And I came home. I was at the gym watching on tape. And I was like, oh, my God, you've got to see this. And she was like, eh. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, because my one brother, he's about 11 years younger than me, but to a lot of extent, he's really a second version of me. You know, like, he's a, he, he was the 
I don't know, senior athlete of the week or something. And there was an article about him. And like the first three paragraphs was about how much he loves Pearl Jam. And I was just sort of like, you know, sitting around the house with my head real high. Like, yep, 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 yep. He loves Pearl Jam. That's right. I wonder where he got that. You know, I was like talking to my mom. Like, oh, did you read that article about Anthony? Yeah. Did you see what it was mostly about? Yep. That's pretty awesome. Um, So I was just like thinking like, like, oh, maybe because I know you're such a, you seem like such a great father. I mean. Like I said, I feel like I know you a little bit more because of how personal you are with uh, your personal life. So, I, but you seem like such a great father. And I was thinking, like, what, when you were, when I realized you loved it so much, I was thinking, I'm like, well, maybe he's watching with his kids, and his kids were trying to tell him how something, how great uh, some of the younger performers were, and then his older performer that he knew, his kids didn't know, and then she blows it out, and you were just sort of owning the house that night, you know? Well, the funny thing about my kids, my kids are 11 and 8, and uh, today actually I coached my son's baseball team, and I went. I went around and had every kid name their their give their name. There's a second practice, their name and their and their favorite band or singer. You know, you got like different stuff. And my son goes, uh, "Run DMC," and I was like, "Euphoric," you know, because my my kids have really been raised on old school hip hop and newer hip hop. Um, so I don't think my son, if I played him Annie Lennox, would actually care. But if it was a really good like young rapper, he he'd pay attention. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's not as cool as Pearl Jam, but yeah, I mean, that's cool. Run DMC. That's cooler than Pearl Jam because <laughs> no. it's more like for an eight-year-old boy, Run DMC is very obscure. Pearl Jam is still, I mean, they're not commercially huge anymore, but they're still a viable modern act. I mean, Run DMC hasn't recorded an album in years. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Pearl Jam did sell at what Wrigley Field? How many people does that hold? Hey, man, look, I love Pearl Jam. Let yeah, me just say thirty-five minutes. No, I'm giving proof to your argument that maybe they're a little bit more relevant than I give them credit for because they sold out Wrigley Field in a half an hour last summer. I just want to say I sing. To my son, one of the songs I sing to him at night is "Elderly Woman Behind the Counter of a Small Town Restaurant." Yeah, from Versus. Very nice. That's a very nice, uh, very nice one. Love that song. Yeah, very love nice. "Drop the Leash." Drop the Leash. Is that what's called? Yeah, it's called Leash, but yeah, Leash. Yeah, get out of my fucking yeah. Great yeah, song. yep. That was uh, one of the very last ones that I hadn't heard. That I I think I heard it on the 2006 tour, but by then I, by then I was really close to everything, and that was one of the last ones. So. I would love to see Pearl Jam maybe uh, cover some Hall & Oates songs. Then we'd be talking. They're great cover artists. I mean, and they're very well respected for it. I don't know if you've ever seen their Rain Over Me from the... I have. Oh, killed it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, every show you're pretty much walking in knowing you're going to hear Babel O'Reilly or Rockin' in the Free World probably on most nights. Yeah. Look, I, I have much respect for Pearl Jam. Like, yeah. tons of respect for you Pearl Jam. You should definitely... When they play Staples on the next tour, you should definitely see it because i mean it's you know it's, it's i saw pearl jam in madison square garden and i was i was the thing is if you're not like a diehard you know well they're not, not they're like not just going to play the hits so if you don't know their music you could get yeah, lost right. sometimes what uh what when did you go what year uh, i was probably uh maybe 2001 ish okay yeah i was there 2003 maybe whatever i don't know it was a they garden. played in 98 and they played in 2003 do you think to be honest i thought i saw uh, the last concert I saw at the Garden was a long time ago was the Dixie Chicks, mm-hmm. and uh, I love the Dixie Chicks, and I thought they were better in Pearl Jam, just being honest. Mm. Well, you probably knew more uh, songs. Uh, yeah, probably, because they don't play, they do play mostly, you know. I mean, if you right. went in 2003, Pearl Jam played 30 songs, and you probably knew 10 of them. Yeah, that's probably true. So I'm, I, But I love the Dixie Chicks more than I love Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't care if that makes me less of a tough guy. I no, I, I don't know anything about the Dixie Chicks, except they're big Howard Stern fans, or at least one of them is. Other than yeah, that, I mean... They exist in a in a world that I just don't live in. Yeah, I mean, really I'm, good. I'm sure they're great. I just have, I have no idea. Okay. Um, I've kept you too long because we talked before we even started, and we've talked now. 
Uh, so I will let you go. But I should say that uh, the quaz is up every week at jeffperlman.com. You do that there. Got a big one with week. Melissa Manchester today, a singer you've never heard of. I read it already. I liked it. Oh, nice. Yes, he was good. Uh, at Jeff Perlman is the Twitter. You got about 45K there, and you follow almost everyone back. I don't know how you read anything on Twitter. Yeah, I... I, I you just yeah, don't? I don't you use My lists. wife and I always talk about this. I do, but it's kind of random. I don't yeah, know. okay. And uh, Showtime is on paperback now. And um, anything else? Anything else you want to get out there? And my guys? We actually have people now. I feel less and less guilty about having people come on because more and more people listen now. I don't mean that as I, like a humble brag or anything, but like... No, I totally get that. Yeah. I'll tell you what, next time I come on the show, I will give you the whole secret why I follow so many people on Twitter. Okay. I'll, I'll yeah, say that for one. a teaser. It's a good one. I'm going to be hanging, but it's a good one. Oh, and uh, shoot. You know what? Okay, so here's something that you need to make me ask you about next time. Go ahead. Uh, you can ask me now. I don't need... I mean, I, you know, whatever. Go okay, ahead. let's do this as one last thing. So we were talking about the, the best American sports ring people. Chris McDougall was the guy this year. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was... Uh, really a very nice guy and and I had him in and uh, we were talking about things and when I was doing my research beforehand uh, I I knew I knew when I saw that he was the author of Born to Run I knew that I knew the book for some reason like I, I knew like why do I know this and I went and looked on iTunes in the books section on my iPad and I realized the reason I know it is because it's constantly in the top three yeah. And this book has been out for, I don't know, I think it Five came out in 2008, ago. I think, yeah. or something like that, maybe 2009. And it, I just looked before we talked, and it was, I think, number three. And I was looking, and you had three books in the top 100. And Me? Uh, yeah. Wow. You had, I think the highest one was either the, the Mets or the Cowboys book, and then next was the Showtime, and then next was whatever one wasn't first, Mets or Cowboys. And I just – I was wondering, like, is that something you, you look at? Like, I know, you, obviously, you care about how the book goes and you track sales. But I think more specifically, I'm wondering, do you get into things like where books of yours are ranked on iTunes or on Amazon or things that break them down versus the other books in a way that I'm not totally sure how it's done? If it's straight sales or – especially with iTunes, I don't know if that's straight sales or sales and reviews – or exactly how they do it. Maybe you know better than I do. But do you, is that something that you can that you obsess over? Like now, are you talking about? All right, so Showtime comes out like a year and whatever ago, a year ago. Mm-hmm. Are you asking? Do I look at how Showtime's doing now, or like do I still look up the bad guys one and see how it's selling? Yeah, like does it? Ma- or are you talking about immediately after they come out? I guess both. I mean, because right, I- so after after they come out, like they come, you know, it's like coming out, it's coming out, it's coming out. You're basically pressing. We have a joke in our house: refresh, refresh, refresh. You're checking your Amazon ranking nonstop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I have not. Like, I no longer. Once they're out for a while, I totally forget about it. And every once in a while, I'd say maybe twice a year, I see what the comments are. Maybe I'll be like bored and I'll look at the comments of Showtime or something on Amazon just to see what comments are. But no, I don't. I don't. Did not you, very often. Do you ever look on iTunes? Never. Never. Literally never. I have not one time in my life. So is is it because electronic book sales aren't as important to you, either from a deal standpoint or from a whatever, even if you have a great deal, it's not enough books sold to matter to you as much, or why? I guess I'm wondering why. Um, honestly, I just don't think for that much. Okay. It's not like, I mean, I'm on iTunes, I buy stuff from iTunes all the time. I just, uh, I don't know, you know, like, 
how self-indulgent can you be? You know, like, I mean, how many things, I mean, you know, after a while, you, the last thing, I don't know. Not, I mean, how, how often can you check these things, you know, like. Right. No, I get it. Yeah, you do your best. I mean, I'm plenty self-indulgent. You know, I have a blog and I, you know, check my Amazon rankings and all that stuff. And I've certainly Googled myself, you know, you see what people are writing and stuff. But, like, uh, you can't check everything. You just lose your mind. After. Someone, I know someone who uh, who knows Kim Kardashian. Okay. And uh, who knows her well. And he told me, uh, he told me once that he, she Googles herself, you know, probably 200 times a day. And, like, I still want to be that person, you know? So what do you think her reaction was then when she found the pictures of her in her outfit next to Ric Flair in his wrestling robe? That was so awesome. God, that was so awesome. <laughs> what do you think? I, I was, I'm like, what, are you, what, are you, what do you think she thought of that? She probably loved it because people were talking about it. And it seems like that's her oxygen is attention. I mean, why else would you wear that thing? And I don't, I'm not, I don't believe in like ripping people for their outfits. I don't really give a shit. But like, she's just, I can't, I can't understand how someone's so lacking in skill or any skill that we know of is so enormous for this long of a time period. I've never seen 15 minutes. I thought Paris Hilton tapped out on how long you could extend 15 minutes. I've never seen anything like the Kardashians. I cannot fathom why people still care about these people. I think Chris uh, Jenner might be somewhat brilliant. A brilliant marketer, or something. I, I think clearly, but because like, I mean, she runs the she runs the empire, and she's been able to extend that fifteen minutes, like you said. But what are you doing? Me. Like, why are you do, like you have all the money you need, you have the fame, you have no privacy. Like, you see, like it's like this drug, and who wants? I mean, I always say I've had this talk with John Wertheim. Like, the best kind of fame in the world, honest to God, is author fame, because I probably have my name recognized five times a year, right? I never recognize in person. Every now and then you'll see someone reading your book on a train or a beach or something, and it's like thrilling, right? Your book comes out, you do all the media, you're a big deal for about six minutes, and then you go back in your hole and you don't come out for another two years. Like, that's it. So your ego gets fed a little bit for a brief period of time, and then you don't, you don't, it doesn't, it's not even a factor for the rest of the time. To be like on all the time, like nonstop, 24 hours a day, caring, being fed off of fame, I can't even, I could think of nothing worse in life. I'd rather spend my life in jail than have that, the life of Kim Kardashian. I truly would. I think it was Richard Deitch said on here that fame is a very addictive drug. And I guess that, that must be true. But what do you do? I got, okay, I got to ask you this. So Jeff Passan was our very first guest. Yeah. And, he's uh, great. He's a great guy. Yeah. And he's, he's a cool, he's cool. He's like mm-hmm. closest do I have to a friend because he's been on the show. Like, and that, and it's not that close, but I mean, we text or whatever. I don't know. Regardless, yeah. but he's infamous on this show for appearing in really random places, like on a train to Baltimore to go to a playoff game or walking through the city of Chicago. Right. And whenever we get started, I'm a- I always ask him, like, so do people know you around there? Like, are people talking to you? And, you know, he, he jokes back, like, no, we, you know, I just turned down some autographs or whatever. Nobody knows who he is. But when you so you open this up. So when you see people on the train reading your book, do you say anything like, hey, I wrote that book? No, the only time, I almost never do, you know, almost not like, you know, it's in our local library in the new author section. I would never go up to, like, the librarian and say, like, hey, there's my book, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, one time I was on a train, I think it was Bad Guys 1, and uh, some guy was reading it, and I was really excited. And I said, uh, I went up to him, and I was like, oh, how is that book? I heard of it. He said, oh, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cool, great. And that was it. Um, and then I think one time I was in Barnes and Noble. Oh yeah, there was one time I was in Barnes and Noble with a friend of mine, 
and we saw someone reading, um, maybe it was a cowboy book. And, uh, I said, how is, oh, I said, oh, is that, is that the new cowboy book? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, I heard the author's a dick. <laughs> and, uh, and I was walking away and, uh, he's like, ha ha, Perlman, you know, blah, 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 or something like that. But, uh, I, I think those are the only two times. That's I ever, right. uh, I ever did that. Did Generally, what, do I, what am I going to do? Uh, oh, hey, you're reading my book. That's so cool. Thanks. I mean, how big the, of a dork you know, do I need to be? Did you see the picture of the girl in the Wolfwick jersey next, standing next to him? No. Vince Wolfwick? I'm, I'm saying that weird for some reason. Yeah, I know the Patriots. But yeah, the Patriots nose tackle. He took, a, I guess, a picture of himself by himself, um, and he took the picture. You know, it looks like maybe they're at the zoo or something, and... He's standing there, and there's oh. a lady in his jersey right next to him, and clearly she doesn't realize it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I was thinking about it like, okay, football is the easiest sport for that to happen because they're always in helmets. Yeah, helmets. And there's so many of them too. And I went to the Saints and Browns game earlier in the year in Cleveland, and I really wanted to go. I went in really early. The very first Breeze and Peyton Saints game was in Cleveland in 2006, and I was there as well, and I was – you know, in right away and just kind of stood around and watched them prepare and things. And I remember, you know, seeing Coach Payton walking around the field and I was thinking, oh, I wonder what he's thinking. He's about the coach's first NFL game. Uh, and I wanted to experience that again. And I was standing, you know, where they come out and stuff. And uh, I mean, I'm not asking for anything or looking. I'm just standing there watching, really. Uh, and uh, I was shocked at how many people I did recognize, probably a good 20 or 25. But, but I was also shocked at how many other Saints fans who have traveled, many of them from New Orleans, didn't know, like, couldn't recognize Marcus Colston. I would recognize Marcus Colston. Yeah, but, uh, you know, like, when he came out, like, a few people around me, they're like, oh, who's that? Who's that? And I'm just right. like, really? You know? But well, because the NFL, the NFL, unless you're a star, you know, we don't really see the faces very much. That's you said you would or wouldn't recognize Colston? No, definitely would not. Definitely would not. Yeah, no, I get that. I was just, I was surprised that. People from New Orleans, I mean, he's been the top, right, right. top three star on the team since 2006, I would say. Top five, at least. I'm surprised. But I don't know. Anyway, we're way off the rails. Uh, and um, thank you very much. I hope that the Republicans do not anger you too much um, <laughs> in the coming weeks until uh, we speak again. I hope that the uh, members of the party and uh, the members of the religious right who can get under your skin, I hope that they're kind and that they work well with your friends in, in the You know, the funny world. thing is, is that most of my, uh, I have many, many conservative, I grew up in a conservative area. I right. mean, many of my closest friends are Republicans. So it's not like, uh, you know, I, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I'm a lover of people. I'm a hater of politics. Yes. And you're, you're very, very much a very, very passionate liberal, a very, very left liberal. You know, I'm an idealist. Yes. Yeah. So I hope that, I hope that, the political worlds can can come together for you and, and keep your anxiety because I worry about people who are affected with a similar with a similar thing that I am like I know you are you've told me uh, I worry about those people's anxiety because it can hurt that so I hope that those things can be calm and that you will feel well because I like well, I you and I'm that. excited but for I you. feel great I'm actually uh, all is good in my life I appreciate good. that though good uh, thank you for doing this thank you for all the time. Uh, yeah, man. It was fun. I want to get up to 19. I want to topple Jenkins. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I hope the new book is going well and uh, that you'll be on soon to talk about it or in between to talk again. Okay. All right. Groovy. All right. All right. Take care. See you. Bye.
right, I want to thank Jeff Perlman for being on the podcast. Always ha- love having Jeff on. Uh, don't forget, you can find this week's podcast, last week's podcast, all of our podcasts, even the one that Jimmy Trainer was last on back in 2011, on our website, www.sports-casters.com. We sort of broke for 24 hours or so last week, but that's all fixed. Yeah, it was our registrar's fault. Yeah, no worries there. Luckily, can- we're not... Uh- like Katy Perry popular or something. Otherwise, somebody probably would have tried to steal that steal shit. It. Yeah. I don't know what would have happened because we paid for it before it expired. So Would have been a showdown. Yeah, I don't, I don't the know. Sh- the sportscaster's lawyer would have had to yeah. <laughs> represent us. Uh, last week's show had Brian Curtis and Sean McIndoe from Grantland. You can check that out again, www.sports-casters.com. You can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and at Don Lake Sports. And uh, one last thing. Yeah, one last thing for me this week. The Buffalo Bills, uh, notoriously weak on offensive line last year uh, for a team that was that great on defense and has fairly good running backs. They couldn't get anything going in the running game. Uh, they signed Richie Incognito to a one-year deal. He, he's a It's a polarizing signing in a lot of ways. Uh there's not a lot of risk from a NFL standpoint. It's one year. It's low money. Um, if he's a problem, they can cut him in training camp. And it's a low-risk position, relatively speaking. It's so, a very classic second-chance or last-chance contract. Yeah, and that's where I guess I'm going with this is I feel like football, and this is not a plus for it. It probably says more about me and football fans, but I feel like football maybe – makes me justify a lot about decisions that are made more than I'd like to. Like, I don't want to have to do the the cartwheels in my head or the gymnastics in my head that tell me that this is okay because I want to root for my football team. Uh, do you a think lot... you have to in this case? Do you really know, you know enough? What? Do you really think that... If it was just about the bullying thing... And I have a lot of personal reasons to be very against bullying and very sensitive to bullying. Yeah, because I used to kick your ass and bully you all the time. Right. But aside from that, uh, I have other reasons. And I would be anyone to look for any excuse to to bash this guy for bullying. And maybe there's more that just never came out. And Really, in the end, sort of played out as a couple of guys busting each other's balls. That's... I read the transcripts of the texts. And nothing in those texts makes it seem like he was given any warning like that would be one thing like if jonathan martin just didn't like that type of talking uh fine but never in those texts did he say anything and maybe he said something to him in person so whatever if that was the only thing on his record then i would maybe chalk it up to a misunderstanding or something uh he's had problems in college though uh he's a meathead he right right? i mean he he kind of I don't know if even kind of is a good qualifier, but he essentially sexually assaulted a woman with a golf club. Yeah, see, I don't know any, really about that. I, I don't know. I I didn't hear about that until this, and I probably should have, but I guess at some golf tournament, like a charity golf tournament, he was wasted and like took a golf club and was like rubbing it all over a girl, and he ended up settling out of court with that girl. Um, So we've talked enough about guys like Michael Vick and that have done their time. He he did a year. Incognito 
basically didn't do time right, right. but he he faced the punishment from a year the away league. from his uh, livelihood. So this all comes back to: Should I have to allow a guy like this? Should I be okay letting a guy like this back in the league because he did his time, or should the NFL be a privilege? Uh, can people change? I guess like I've, Vic seems like he did right, and and I was the biggest. Michael anti Vic guy, right? Time, yeah. Man. So, I don't know. I I think with certain people, like if you're a person that goes to jail for like molesting kids, I don't care how much jail or rehabilitation you do. I just don't feel like that's something you recover from. But I mean, if Richie Incognito is just an asshole, maybe that's something you can grow out of. And I like getting back to what I said in the beginning. I just wish. Football in particular, maybe it's just a numbers game. Maybe it's because there's 60 however many guys on the team that it's bound to happen. But I just I wish football to some extent didn't make me do these mental, moral gymnastics to be okay with rooting for my team. One last thing today. I was going to talk a little bit about the Saints and this sort of weird family drama. Yeah. Uh, basically, what it is is... Uh, Step grandmother trying to cut the grandchildren out, and the grandchildren saying that she's forcing my grandfather to do that because he's weak mentally. So they're having a judge decide whether or not Tom Benson is capable of making those decisions and running his businesses. This almost sounds like the Anna Nicole Smith thing when her husband i think it was died and the family tried to come after her to not get any money when i look at it i say wow that's sad yeah sucks to see a family coming apart over money but i then realize i don't have any money can't sympathize with that don't know what it's like (laughs) i just hope in the end they can figure it out and it doesn't hurt the saints that's what i was going to ask the only (laughs) question i had for this since this isn't like I just talked about like kind of having to cover your eyes to something. This is nothing like moral. This is like a weird family. It's drama a family drama playing out yeah. publicly. So it's, I don't feel insensitive saying like, does this matter? No, yeah, I, I wouldn't think so. Not yet. Not, not yet. to this show or to sports Saints fans. Just well, yeah, yet. that's what I meant more to Saints. Fans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the end, um, you know, older broads or if to use a to not have a better, more sensitive term have run teams in the past to varying degree. I mean, if she ends up being the owner when Mr. Mr. Benson's not even gone yet. Right. So I can't get too upset over, uh, over who's going to run the team when he is. But before we go real quickly, I just wanted to add, because you brought up, uh, you brought up incognito. Uh, another fan base is going to have to make a decision on Greg Hardy soon. Yeah. Because his case very abruptly ended and it seems to me it ended because he paid the girl and the girl said, okay, I'll tell them to leave me alone. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, you can beat him up for too little too late, but uh, being too late about something doesn't mean you shouldn't try. I think Carolina's handling this the right way. You think they've done all right? So so far, they've essentially said, look, we know this is done in the court, but we're not done with it. I so, think the unique thing about it is that he was actually convicted. Right. You know, imagine if he wasn't convicted ever. They had suspended him, and then it ended this way. Then what? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, 
Because they, they weird... now they now they can at least fall back on look, we were just acting based on you were you were proven guilty. So we acted. Right. And if they have their own investigation going on of you, some this sort, is they the better appeal. do a better job than the Ray They Rice appealed thing. and then the course the it during the process of appeal, uh the county or state or whoever it was specifically dropped the charges. Right. And it seems like they dropped the charges because they couldn't get who they needed for prosecution to cooperate, and it seems like she's not cooperating because she got paid. I mean, that's similar to what happened in Dante's Stallworth, right? Drunk driving, killed right. someone, paid him off, and he didn't and he, even miss time, I don't he think. He was suspended. Oh, he was suspended, right. Yep. But, yeah, he never did any jails. So. No jail, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, I hope I, Carolina handles this sensitively. They've, they've done a good job so far kind of saying that. We, well, he's a free we, agent, I think, so I don't think there's much more oh, Carolina really? can do. Okay. You know, I think the league could still potentially well, maybe they locked out suspend yeah. him in the. Uh, yeah, he said he's still going to be on that exempt list, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. But I don't know if that's a. We're team. gonna have to monitor how this plays out, but I would think that I was gonna. My point was, I think you're better in the incognito camp yeah. than the fans who are going to soon be in the Hardy camp. Shame, right? Like a dime. 